Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Oh, hearing the the noise, the cheers in the background for us. Only show on the network gets a standing ovation every time we're here. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. As DeSager told you, early third quarter, Golden State is up on Memphis 72-57. to Golden State just absolutely shooting lights out. 72% from the field so far in this game. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Saturday night. Jason, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Uh, this game, I, I couldn't wait to get here. It feels like the second game was played three weeks ago, and it was played on Tuesday. The NBA schedule drives me insane. There was all this momentum, and then you sit there and you wait for four days to get to game three. But you're in prime time. This is the this was the moment where we were going to find out what Memphis would look like going to that building where the Warriors are undefeated in the playoffs, where we've seen them win championships, how they would respond on the road in this scenario. And what you've seen is, as usual in the NBA playoffs, role players show up big time at home, and you're seeing that. Uh, 
I would say it's out of reach, except I've seen Memphis come back in this postseason <laughs> yeah. from 20-plus down multiple times. The difference is this is Golden State, not Minnesota. I'm impressed by Clay Thompson because, boy, I was ready to come in here and fire off a take Ooh. watching the first quarter and a half of this game, which was... I don't know that we should have not understood that this was going to be the case, but Clay Thompson doesn't feel like the same player he was prior to the injury. Prior to the injury, when Durant was still part of the team, he seems much more spot-up shooter guy. He's still a great defender, but he just doesn't scare me the way he used to scare me. But he has all of a sudden, then since that, since I was set to come in here and just fire off that take, he's played well. Uh, you, you mentioned Clay Thompson, 15 points. Steph Curry, 15. Andrew Wiggins, 17. Otto Porter, 10 points here early in the third quarter. Um, you know, and, and it's exactly what you said. Is First of all, Memphis came out red hot. They were up 13 points at one point early in the first game, and it's been all Golden State since then. I don't know where you were necessarily um, coming into these playoffs, Jason. Where are you now with Golden State in terms of the championship pecking order hierarchy because you know obviously look Steph was coming off of an injury to start the playoffs uh you know he was coming off the bench literally uh you know to to start this thing and you know listen I know that the first two games in Memphis were were hotly contested obviously uh you know Golden State takes game one or excuse me yeah uh, Golden State takes game one I'm sorry and then of course Memphis takes game two both super close both super feisty but Golden State makes quick work of Denver. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, again, splits in Memphis, but is in complete control in this one. And I know it's early, and I know a lot of things can happen even in this one, let alone in the series. But I'll tell you, you know, three vets that have been there before, but then it's kind of a credit to Golden State for finding the right pieces around him. As I mentioned, Andrew Wiggins is playing really well. He was obviously part of a trade last year. Jonathan Kaminga becomes the youngest player ever to start an NBA playoff game earlier tonight. He hasn't played a ton, but, you know, and again, another night piece and of course Kevon Looney who's been there Jordan Poole who's emerged over these last couple weeks I, I you know I look at them and I'm not ready to sit here and say they're the definitive favorite or anything like that because uh, Milwaukee looked good today Phoenix looked good uh, throughout these playoffs but I, I, it feels like there were a lot of people that thought they were a great story but not necessarily in that upper tier I look at them over the first whatever it is seven eight games of this playoffs and I think they're absolutely good enough to win another Larry O'Brien trophy yeah, I agree with you, and I've thought that now for a couple of months. Um, you got championship pedigree, and you got dudes that know what it's like to be in these games in this month of the year as well as the next month, and so you can never count them out. And because some of these other guys have begun to fit so well, I think that's where you start to look at it. Like Wiggins has really come into his own. Jordan Poole's become a superstar right before our eyes. Otto Porter is contributing, doing good things defensively, and he's in double digits tonight. Kaminga, maybe he was going to come in and actually try to work against Ja. Like, there's a lot of things, and they don't even have Gary Payton for this series now, and he was going to be one of the prime defenders uh, because of the injury sustained due to the fouling game, too. But, yes, I wouldn't call him definitive favorites either, but I came in and I started to feel like as the playoffs were beginning, even though I picked Phoenix to win it all, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Golden State did. They're the team that I wouldn't want to face right now. Although I think Memphis has that that feel as well. Like from, from one night to the next, you're not entirely sure yet. The consistency might not be there. But if you got a dude that can go for 47 when his team absolutely has to have it to win the game by five, then you're always going to have a chance. I think the good thing right now is just there really isn't a definitive favorite. It could be Phoenix. It could be Golden State. 
It could be Milwaukee. It could be Miami. Like there are some teams that are playing well, but there's not just one. There's not even like a tier one and a tier two. Like there's a lot of teams playing solid basketball right now, which makes all of these games more intriguing. Yeah, see, that's really interesting to me because obviously a big co- uh, conversation throughout this week as uh, Golden State comfortably ahead 80 to 61 in the third quarter here um, of game three in this series. One of the big conversations of this the, the these playoffs and of the last week is that the ratings are actually up. Now, um, you know, we can get into later why we all think that that is, but I, I think one. One of it is you really have three or four teams that I really look at and I think, you know, I, I watched Milwaukee today and I said even without Chris Middleton, I could see this team winning it all. Phoenix, obviously, they lost last night, but I love what they do. I think Miami is completely under the radar. Golden State, I, I just said it right now, I think they're absolutely good enough to win it. Um, you know, I, I, I think there are times where, listen, dynasties sell, dynasties are good for viewership, and I think that, that three, four-year stretch where Golden State was so great um, that uh, you know they were so great. I think for a time that was good for the sport, and then I think it kind of got uh, it became a negative thing in terms of it felt like the, the the deck was basically stacked against the rest of the NBA. There was nothing you could do to stop Steph, KD, uh, Clay, all these guys. But I'll tell you, I, you know, I don't know if I'm in the minority here. I know there's a lot of people, and the ratings would reflect that we love dynasties in our sports. I love this playoffs that's wide open. I love this March Madness where it didn't feel like it was an inevitable Gonzaga versus Baylor like last year where it felt like any round, any team could emerge. And it's the same with these NBA playoffs this year. By the way, this, the, the NFL playoffs, the same thing. You know, I don't know if the Rams were the best team over the, 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 four, the four weeks that they played, but they did what they had to do to win that Super Bowl in Los Angeles. And I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling, but I, I just think that we, we have this negative connotation about parity and balance – but I'm enjoying these NBA playoffs for that exact reason because I feel like I got to watch every every Milwaukee Boston game because one game could swing the series. I feel like um, you know this Memphis Golden State game with Memphis taking t- game two is now up in the air and either team could go. Like I said, I know that sometimes a lot of people like to say it's a negative if there's parity or if there's three four teams that aren't totally dominant, but I think this is a good example of a situation where I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's kind of good for the sport right now that we have four, maybe five teams that we feel like can make a deep run, at least get to the finals, if not win it all. From a television ratings standpoint and an interest standpoint, we're aware of the LeBron factor. We understand LeBron is baked into the cake when it comes into the ratings and the attention that he draws. We already know that. So him missing obviously hurts to some degree, but since it's already baked into the cake and him being in the playoffs this year doesn't mean he, or not being in the playoffs, I should say, doesn't mean that you're not going to watch him next year. Everybody's still going to watch LeBron next year because he's LeBron James. We are getting a chance to put a spotlight on a lot of different people in a lot of different places, playing for different cities, different teams. LeBron James, nowhere to be found. And Kevin Durant right now, nowhere to be found. There are stars on all of these teams. There are guys that you can get behind. You can get behind a Jason Tatum if you want to. It's arguable, but when he is playing his best, I'm not sure that there is a human being on this planet that could do anything to stop Giannis Antetokounmpo, and we saw it again today. We're watching. You could talk about Clay or Draymond, but Steph is obviously Steph. Then on the other side, you've got Ja Morant, who's a superstar. He's going to be one of the faces of the league going forward. Phoenix has got Chris Paul. When they're healthy, they've got more studs out there. Miami's got Jimmy Butler. There's somebody everywhere. 
Yep. There are guys everywhere. There's even role players. There's dudes that, do, that stand out there and shoot threes that you are starting to know. And I think the best thing for the league is we already know LeBron's going to be part of it going forward, and that's going to be good for the league. But the best thing for the league is can we create a bunch of others that can then challenge the one if he's still the one? And that, to me, creates interest, and that's how you grow the sport, because it's not just a dynasty. I love the fact that I think it works both ways, Aaron. I think there are good times for dynasties, but there's also times when a league needs to prove its worth. And the NBA is getting the opportunity right now to prove its worth with superstars across all these cities that still have teams playing. So this is an interesting conversation. Uh, I want to come back and kind of continue it further because I do think there has been this narrative in the NBA that you have to have LeBron, that you have to have KD, that you even have to have the Warriors who are obviously still in it. I don't know that I necessarily feel that way. What I want to do, we'll come back, we'll continue that conversation, talk about the ratings. What do the ratings say? Ratings are through the roof. This Memphis-Golden State Series Game 1 was one of the highest rated non-finals games that we've had in years and everything else. It's been, it's just been a good couple weeks for the NBA, a, a ton of interest, as you said, Jason, in some of these new teams, some of these new stars. So we're going to discuss that all next. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it, you listen to it, I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Saturday night. Memphis, they're struggling. Golden State up 91-71, under four minutes to go in the third quarter. Memphis was up 13 points in the first quarter, Jason. I'm not great at math here. It's 93-71. At one point, it was 21-8 Memphis ahead. So Memphis has scored 50 points while Golden State has scored 86? 86 to 50. So they, I don't know. I'm not great at math here, but the point is it's a lot to a little since about midway through the first quarter. And as you said to lead the show, um, you know, listen, I'll say this real quick. I do think there are times where there are narratives in our industry that get blown out of proportion or just aren't true or are t- whatever. The idea that being there before, being a veteran team, having experienced the ups and downs of the playoffs, I really do think it matters. Now, at a certain point, you just get too old, too beat up, too worn down, too whatever. Uh, but I don't think it's a coincidence that in a, a tie game, Golden State returning to home, the series completely flips one way or another tonight, that we are getting the best version of Golden State. Yeah, we are. And they came out in the second half and basically closed the door. I mean, yeah, it's not over yet, but it kind of feels like it's over. I feel like Memphis makes one more attempt to see if they can get it close. But if you're still sitting there with eight minutes left, I think that's when you just kind of call off the dogs at that point in time and live to fight another day. You don't need to give guys minutes if they don't need them. Make sure they're not ice cold. But you've seen some bad shots tonight. Desmond Bain's dealing with a back injury, and he keeps taking threes, and they're not particularly good ones either. This is just Golden State looking very vintage, but with new new pieces. Let me jump in on that real quick, because... 
This was something we talked about two Saturdays ago, I believe, when it was clear that Brooklyn was not going to come back. And one thing that that I really thought that night, it was a changing of the guard in this regard, is that the days of just getting a superstar or two trading whatever it takes to get those two or three guys in the building. In the case of Brooklyn, it was three with James Harden. In the case of the Lakers, if you want to call it three with Russell Westbrook, whatever. The thing that stands out to me about Golden State is how they found that balance of being able to to pay their core, but as their core has gotten older... Um, it's two things. One, they've drafted really well, get Jordan Poole late first round, early second round, whenever he goes. But I want to give credit to the Golden State Stars. I was thinking about this this morning, or this after, this evening when I was watching this game. The Golden State Stars, Clay Thompson goes down, Steph has been a little bit banged up the last few years. It was not this rush to fix everything right away. They've allowed the front office to do their jobs, and we'll talk about Chris Russo later. This is not a shut up and dribble thing. <laughs> uh, but, like, they allowed the front office to do their job. They weren't, you know, they had lottery picks. They One of them they, they probably whiffed on, frankly, with James Wiseman. One of them I think they did pretty well with with Jonathan Kaminga but that was something that stood out to me is that there have been organizations and, and the ones that are struggling right now the the Lakers didn't make the playoffs the Nets didn't make uh, the Nets didn't make it out of the first round they got swept out of the first round Golden State their stars backed off they said front office do what you got to do we're going to get healthy and now it's like this really nice blend of three kind of aging superstars but also the the pieces around them are young the supplemental pieces and it just it just feels like a really nice balance I didn't really cut you off but it was something that struck me as I was watching the game earlier tonight yeah, you've still got your you've got your figureheads that aren't figureheads. You've got these veteran guys that know how to win a championship and even though I don't want to use this term because I'm sure it's coming up later, they kind of are willing to mentor oh. these guys underneath them. Mm. But I think the most amazing thing this entire postseason is Steph Curry coming off the bench and allowing Jordan Poole to find himself allowing Jordan Poole to be a star. I think that's the other thing that some guys are unwilling to do is let other people be the stars. When they're on the same team together, it can be hard to even take one step into the background, even for a temporary spot. And Steph, considering who he is, he's well within his rights to say, screw that. But that's not how he behaved. The selfless nature of Steph Curry during this postseason has made me an even bigger fan of him, both on and off the court. Just, that's a rarity. There's a lot of dudes that can't do that, especially all-time greats that just simply cannot do that. And for Steph to do it for the betterment of the team, knowing, you know, he's still going to have his opportunities. And when he did come in off the bench, he was absolutely a man with his hair on a fire. I'm just relentlessly impressed with that. Over the years, Steph has grown on me, and I, I, there, there were some things John Morant just threw down a filthy dunk. Unfortunately, they're down by 21 points. Um, Memphis, uh, yeah, Golden State, 99-78, end of the third quarter here, about 40 seconds left. As Steph pulls up for a deep three, I bring it up because I, Steph's grown on me. And, and early on, you know, there was some stuff that I don't want to say it bothered me, but it just felt like... It was one of those, like, can we calm down? Like, the guy's great. We don't need to oversell how great that he is. Um, But I bring it up because what you just said is the most impressive thing about him to me is that every athlete on the planet says, I'm all about winning. It's just, at the end of the day, just I need that W. But they aren't all about winning. 
If it no, was they're not. It, most of them aren't. And by the way, that's okay. We're all competitive, but we all have, you know, we all have egos in in our business. People have egos. I know that I have an ego. So this isn't a criticism. But if it was all about winning for Kevin Durant, uh, he would have never left Golden State. If it was all about winning for Kyrie, he would have ne- probably never left Cleveland. Frankly, uh, you know, if it was all about winning for LeBron, there were certain things that he would have done differently. You know, he, you know, he would have let the front office make the trade that they wanted rather than going after Russell Westbrook. So, you know, all these athletes say that it's about it's only about winning. Steph Curry has shown it time and time again throughout his career. Um, you know, the, the Kevin Durant thing four or five years ago. I mean, how many guys just let – you're a two-time MVP at that point, and you let Kevin Durant come in, and it's clear that Kevin Durant is just – he's just a better player than you. There's nothing wrong with that, but that, that's what you do. You allow him to come in. You allow everything to revolve around him. It kind of reminds me in some ways of when Dwayne Wade brought in LeBron James to Miami, but you do that at that time. Um, again, you go through all sorts of injuries, this, that, the other thing. And then to your point, Jason, in these playoffs, in you know, coming off a, 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 a month-long injury where other guys step up, rather than having the ego to sit there and say, well, I've been here, I've done it, I deserve my spot back. It's like, no, no, no. This guy's playing well. Our team is playing well. I'll sit back. I will get kind of my feet under my, you know, get my legs underneath me, get get a few games in. And then obviously when, when the team loses, it changes things up a little bit. You're allowed to, it makes it a little bit easier to put them back in the starting lineup. But I just think not only in these playoffs, I think it's been accentuated in these playoffs, but I think really the last four, five, six years, I've been so impressed by the selflessness of this guy and the fact that while a lot of athletes like to tell you how it's all about winning, that's all that matters. There's not very many that have put their money where their mouth is like Steph Curry. Tony Gonzalez did an interview a few years ago on FSR. It may have been with Colin. I'm not sure, but I've heard it referenced recently. And he was talking about, Aaron, what you just discussed, which was how many of these guys actually want to win, and that's their primary objective. How many? And I guess this is the way you would describe it. How many dudes are dialed in like Tom Brady? How many dudes are wired like that to win championships? Michael Jordan, guys like that. And he said 3%. Wow. He That's said maybe 3% of the guys that I have encountered, other athletes, other teammates, are truly invested in winning. And the other 97%, at first it's a paycheck and my brand and personal things. And then if you win, then it's a bonus. And it's the same thing with ownership. We want to believe that the owner of the team that we love is as diehard about winning a championship as we are as fans. And the truth of the matter is, almost none of those dudes are. Almost none of those men and women are. A lot of them are cashing big-time checks and love the power and the prestige that comes along with owning any professional sports franchise. But if you win, it's a bonus. It's not what you're doing it for. I think we want sports to mean more to those involved in it, those lucky enough to either own or play or coach or whatever. But that was striking to me. 3%. According to Gonzalez, this isn't just like you and me who've never played on the pro level sitting here postulating or speculating. This is a a Hall of Fame NFL player saying, yeah, maybe 3% 
of athletes care about winning. Well, and you know, it speaks to what we talked about a lot last week was the NFL draft. And it's like, if it was based solely on pure talent, Kayvon Thibodeau would have been the number one pick and it wouldn't have even been a debate. But, you know, you factor in a million different things, you know, attitude, work ethic, scheme, how does money change you? How does this, you know, do you have the natural skills? It changes the dynamic. And so, you know, I just I just think it, it speaks to Steph Curry. It speaks to who he is. And I think there's obviously other good parallels across sports, right? I'll tell you this. I've been an Aaron Rodgers defender for years. This offseason, when he takes that big bag to be the highest paid player in the NFL without any awareness that Devontae Adams has no interest in coming back, like that was a light bulb moment for me. Like, oh, yep. all those guys that have been criticizing Aaron Rodgers, all those guys that have been saying it's about him, it's about him, it's about him, I was hesitant to say that. And then when I saw that, and I was like, this guy has no idea that this guy, Devontae Adams, the, the, the guy that is basically the key to you know a huge, a huge part of Aaron Rodgers' success, that that guy has no interest in staying, that he's ready to leave, and that maybe if he had taken a little bit less, it could have allowed Devontae Adams to stay. Um, you know, that's just one example. But, you know, it's it's not just a basketball thing. It's not just a Steph Curry is this and LeBron is that or Steph Curry is that and KD is that. But, but you know, it's just it, – it has struck me. Um, you know, it has struck me over the last couple of years how, how, you know, how selfless Steph is. I don't know if it results in another championship, uh, but it, it does speak to why the Warriors have been able to stay where they are as this game now is done with three quarters. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Coming up, I do think, uh, Jason, we'll talk a little bit about that Chris Russo, Draymond Green stuff that was in the news all this week. Uh, mm. Mm-hmm. Uh. All right, we'll talk about it. But first... Let's get to Steve Sager with What's Training. What's up, Sager? Good evening, gentlemen. It is a Golden State 21-point lead as they're ready to start the fourth quarter. But there was quite a story at the Kentucky Derby today, won by Rich Strike at 80-1 to 1 odds. And the this is a horse that wasn't even in this race, by the way, until Friday after another horse was scratched. Uh, Sonny Leone, the jockey of the winner today, said, We did have a difficult post position, but I know this horse. Rich Strike started in the number 20 slot, the far outside. As for the race near the end, he says, I knew I had to wait until the stretch, and that's what I did. I waited, and the rail opened up. This is a jockey who spent yesterday riding near Cincinnati, five mounts, three second-place finishes here a horse that was claimed in september for thirty thousand dollars well the purse for the team is 1.8 million taking the kentucky derby today epicenter finished second zandon finished third as for the golden state warriors in that great shooting the first half tonight they shot 70 percent from the floor and did have 14 turnovers an odd combination in fact ap says in the last 20 years of nba basketball that had only happened twice in any first half for any team, regular season or playoffs, Golden State is up 104-83 now against the Grizzlies early in the fourth quarter. Warriors shooting 66% from the field. Steph Curry with 23 points. Klay Thompson with 18. Andrew Wiggins with 17. Looks like Golden State's ready to go up two games to one. And in the East, it's Milwaukee up two games to one in its second-round series. After beating Boston 103-101 to as the Celtics' late tipping came just after the buzzer, Jason Jason Tatum, 10 points in the loss, 4 of 19 shooting. Meanwhile, Giannis and Tenenkumpo, 42 points for the winners. Two more NBA games tomorrow. 
The NHL has a late game that's nearly to the end of the first period. Dallas tied 1-1 with Calgary. Colorado won at Nashville 7-3 to go up three games to none. Washington surprised Florida 6-1, so the Caps are up two games to one in that first-round series. Pittsburgh up two games to one after beating the Rangers tonight 7-4. There was a USFL game on Fox TV. Birmingham 4-0 beat Tampa Bay 16-10. As for Major League Baseball, the Dodgers, believe it or not, had only two hits until a moment ago, but it was a Mookie Betts three-run double and a two-run homer. They've added its 6-2 Dodgers at the Cubs in the bottom of the ninth. L.A. looking for a sweep after yesterday's rainout. They played the first of the doubleheader today, and it was 7-0 Dodgers, the final over the Cubs, as Clayton Kershaw 4-0 got the victory. Atlanta has picked up an impressive win against Milwaukee tonight, 3-2, beating Corbin Burns, who entered with an ERA of 1.93. Ronald Acuna with a solo homer in the fifth inning, his second of the weekend. Pittsburgh split a doubleheader with Cincinnati. Yes, the Reds won a game today, 9-2 in the first of the twin bill against the Pirates in a game that was tied 2-2, bottom of the eighth. Toronto split a doubleheader at Cleveland. White Sox won their fifth in a row. Houston won its sixth straight game. Minnesota won nothing over Oakland. The A's have lost eight straight. Currently on FS1, the Giants' lead is now 13-7 over the Cardinals in the bottom of the eighth inning. And bottom of the eighth, Rockies at Arizona, scoreless, also in progress. The San Diego Padres at 18-9 are getting shut out by the Marlins. 3-0 Miami, top of the seventh. Marlins trying to end a six-game losing streak. Novak Djokovic lost his close semifinal at the Madrid Open to Spanish 19-year-old Carlos Alcaraz. Back to you. Thank you, Steve DeSager. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Uh, Memphis, as DeSager just told you, trailing quite a bit. 108-90 with 10 minutes to go here in Game 3. Series tied at one apiece. So, in addition to, you know, just a fun competitive series, Jason, um, you know, obviously, as I just said, it's it's 1-1 right now, about to be 2-1 Golden State by the time this thing is done. It was a very eventful series for this, uh, eventful week for this series off the court as well, and maybe part of it was because, as you said, they played game two, I think, on Wednesday and have it's not... Tuesday. Tuesday, okay, all right, and have not been back on the court since. Um, there was actually a couple things I want to talk about, but the first one was the, this crazy, um, you know, triangular back and forth between Chris Russo. Uh, who, By the way, I looked this up during the uh, sports update. I actually didn't know this happened. I don't know how because you were acting like it was huge, and then I look at it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did not know this. We talked about this series, and we talked about Draymond <laughs> this week on my daily show. I had no idea that this happened at all. Well, it's involving now. I do. Well, I was going to say it's involving one of my my great friends in the media industry, JJ Redick. Uh, he is involved, <laughs> uh, and Draymond Green is involved. But it's kind of a crazy back and forth. Um, I do believe that we have the audio of Draymond Green. We'll look for that in a minute. But essentially, what it boiled down to was. Uh, you know, first we don't even need the Draymond Green sound. Here is what Chris Russo said. I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, and this this was of great offense to JJ Redick, and I'm curious for your thought. Um, Chris Russo said he's he's talking about Draymond Green, and it had to do with Draymond Green in Game Two in Memphis. Of course, Game One, Draymond Green gets ejected. Game Two, um, Game One, Draymond Green gets ejected. Game Two, Draymond Green gave the double bird. Uh, to uh, to the Memphis fans. And so uh, Russo is on first take, and he says, he's talking about Draymond Green, he says he's hard to root for. Ugh, shut up and play, will you please? America's tired of Draymond Green, just be quiet and play. 
We all know he's got a great skill set for that team, but who in the world is sitting there? He's so polarizing. I can't root for him. I understand how good he is. I cannot root for him. Um, and then J.J. Redick was actually on set. He kind of made some commentary about, you know, that's old school thinking, that's Fox News thinking, a reference to Laura Ingram, just shut up and dribble. Uh, I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'll toss it to you. Again, the, the theme of it was that Chris Russo said he's hard to root for. Shut up and play, will you please? America's tired of Draymond Green. Just be quiet and play. J.J. Uh, J. J. Redick did not like that. Really quickly, here was Draymond Green's response to Chris Russo. I'm not one to really pull a race car very often because I think, you know, we all know the role that race play in the world that we live in, but... That definitely had a very racist connotation. Those shut up and play, shut up and dribble days, those are long gone. We don't listen to that anymore. We don't want to hear it anymore. It has no place here and nor will it be tolerated. I also proceeded to say, it's time for you to go home and sit on your couch and thank the good Lord that I didn't want his job. I meant that from the bottom of my heart. Before I signed with Turner, I was actually offered (laughs) a spot on first take. That was Draymond Green, courtesy of the Draymond Green Show uh, on uh, the Volume Sports Radio uh, Podcast Network. So let me ask you this: like, like, I listen. First of all, I I don't have a fundamental issue with anyone's opinion. Like, one thing I always try to say about myself, especially people in our space, is you know most of my career is essentially based on opinions, and I have people, frankly, attacking my opinions all the time. I try not to criticize other people's opinions. Um, really quickly on Chris Russo. You know, I I don't I don't know I I didn't get I I get why people turn it into a race thing because of the Laura Ingram shut up and dribble, but I don't think it's controversial for him to say that one he's hard to root for, um, that he's polarizing, and that he fundamentally cannot root for Draymond Green because there's a lot of people that feel that way. Now JJ Redick was on set and he basically said, "What are you talking about? People don't want to hear what he has to say. He has one of the most popular podcasts on the planet, which he does." I had no real, like, a a, a sports analyst saying, I don't, you know, I'm tired of you, I'm tired of your attitude, I'm tired of you, all you do is talk, 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 chirp, 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 you you threw up a double bird to the fans, like, I don't really have a fundamental issue with it, I think Draymond Green should be able to defend himself and say what he wants, I just wasn't that upset by what Chris Russo said, what do you think of it? We're going to need more than two minutes before we go to the break, really, to talk about it, but in short... What exactly did Chris Russo say that wasn't accurate to Chris Russo's opinion in this case? Like, I'm no giant Mad Dog fan or anything like that, and I don't watch First Take regularly, but Draymond Green being an irritant is not a new take. Nope. That's not unique. That's something Draymond would have to agree with himself. I mean, that's part of his game. He's a Rodman-like player. He's one of those dudes that you like if he plays for you and can't stand if he plays for anybody else. And I think the problem for Draymond Green in particular is that, and I've said this for years, dating back to working with Clay in the mornings, Draymond Green, if he had been drafted by the Orlando Magic, so true, we'd have never heard a word from him. Because he would have been irrelevant, Aaron. Like he's a he's a good basketball player, but he's also a great basketball player because he's surrounded by Hall of Famers. As a matter of fact, he's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame because he's played around who he's played around. It doesn't mean that he hasn't earned the right to be 
a star in this league and have a voice or anything else. Everybody's got a voice. That's wonderful. Everybody's got a platform. Everybody's got a social media. Everybody's got whatever. You, you have plenty of space to go and say whatever you want to say. But he's flipping double birds. He's doing his usual thing. He's he trash-talked his entire game, career. He got ejected yeah, from he, game one, worth noting. That's the second time he's been ejected in in the playoffs in his career. Maybe actually it may be the third time. Uh, he got into the spat with Charles Barkley a few years ago. He called James Dolan a slave owner. If you remember that whole deal with the Charles Oakley thing a few years ago, he did that on the podcast. He is an out there kind of figure. That's part of who Draymond Green is. That's why people might want him on television. That's why TNT wanted him while he was injured. He's an interesting guy. He never will find a microphone that he doesn't want to talk to. So if somebody then says, man, I'm just tired of all of the Draymond Green experience. Why can't you just play basketball because I'm tired of hearing all this? This is different than the shut up and dribble because that was actually Laura Ingram speaking to LeBron James talking about political issues. That was different. That was a conservative commentator basically saying, gosh, I'm tired of this. You don't know what you're talking about. Go play basketball. Draymond Green's just shooting off at the mouth randomly about all sorts of things and I find it hard to believe that you're going to pull the race card just by suggesting that maybe Draymond Green borders on irritating from time to time considering that's his whole brand Aaron like I I hate that he brought this up because I honestly think Draymond knows what he's doing here you should be smart enough not to level this charge for this offense because it lowers the charge when it's relevant. Chris Russo is basically just saying you're annoying. You know who knows a lot about being annoying? Chris freaking Russo. His whole career is basically being Draymond Green on the radio. And he's made a ton of money doing it. And Draymond Green's going to have a great career after his NBA days are done because of his personality, because he's interesting, because he's polarizing, all of those things. You can't have it both ways. If you want to be that guy and you're in a world where you can be authentic and you can have those platforms and you can say whatever you want to say and people will pay you to do it, that's great. But when you do that, some people are going to say, please shut up. I don't really want to hear from you anymore. And that's not because of the color of your skin because he didn't say white America's tired of you. He said America is tired of Draymond Green. And a large segment of them probably are. So I actually have a lot of thoughts on everything you just said. We'll continue the conversation next. Draymond Green in the uh, in the headlines here as the Warriors are pulling away comfortably from the Memphis Grizzlies at 113-94 with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. We'll continue the conversation on Gray- Draymond Green with Chris Russo. This is Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Golden State complete control of Game 3 of their Western Conference semifinal, up 115-99 on Memphis. Six minutes to go in this one. Prior to the break, we were talking a little bit about this Chris Russo, uh, Draymond Green back and forth. Uh, Don, I will have you play the Draymond Green in a second, but to re, you know, for people who did not hear, Chris Russo said this about Draymond Green after Draymond Green one got ejected in Game One, then of course gave uh, the middle finger to the fans in Memphis in Game Two. Chris Russo said, "Shut up and play, will you please? America's tired of Draymond Green. Just be quiet and play. We all know he's got a great skill set for that team, but who in the world is sitting there? He's just so polarizing. I can't root for him. I understand how good he is." I can't root for him. And then this was Draymond Green's response. I'm not one to really pull the race car very often because I think 
you know, we all know the role that race play in the world that we live in, but that definitely had a very racist connotation. Those shut up and play, shut up and dribble days, those are long gone. We don't listen to that anymore. We don't want to hear it anymore. It has no place here and nor will it be tolerated. I also proceeded to say, it's time for you to go home and sit on your couch and thank the good Lord that I didn't want his job. I meant that from the bottom of my heart. Before I signed with Turner, I was actually offered a spot on first take. That was Draymond Green from the Draymond Green Show. So a couple things as kind of a post-mortem to that. One, um, first of all, by the way, John Morant just stepped off the court. I don't know what happened. I mean, the game's almost over, but there's a little pushing and shoving here late in the game between Memphis and and Golden State Game 3. But, you know, a couple things. One, Stephen A. Smith, who's obviously the host of First Take, went on Chris Chris Russo's show. He said, you know, you don't have a racist bone in your body. And, And I thought what Stephen A. actually said, and I'm quoting him verbatim at this point. I don't have the quote in front of me. But he basically said, this is why we want you on. And and I think this is my problem with with Draymond Green's comments is, one, Draymond's allowed to have his opinion. I'm not saying his opinion is wrong in any way, shape, or form. But the same reason that Draymond Green was offered that spot on first take is the same reason Chris Russo is on first take. And by the way, I love how Draymond's talking about it as if he was going to be the five days a week co-host, as if nobody else. There isn't one. Exactly. That's, That's the whole point. But I think that's kind of my issue with it is, you know, Chris Russo is allowed to have his opinion. Draymond Green's allowed to have his. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know Chris Russo. Maybe there was racial undertones in it, but at the same time, one, I don't think there were. Stephen A. Smith said he didn't believe there were. But at the same time, the reason Chris Russo is on that show is for the same reason that Draymond Green is so good at being a podcaster, why he has a deal with Turner, and why ESPN wanted him on first take. You have strong opinions, you're bold, you're not afraid to say how you really feel. Chris Russo says he's polarizing. That's not controversial. I can't root for him. It's not controversial. Shut up and play. Listen, I understand where both Draymond Green and a certain, you know, the, the audience could feel that way, but I just have a problem with him, you know, saying, you know, just forcing the race card when, again, there is, a, you know, where this is a situation where both of these guys have had the success in their careers in the media. I'm not talking about Draymond as a basketball player. They've had their success in their careers in the media because of having strong opinions. And then on top of that, um, you know, as you said a minute ago, Draymond Green has made a career of being an irritant. Uh, and I don't think what, what Chris Russo said is that controversial. And I think he speaks for a lot of people who really just don't like Draymond Green and the person that he has on the floor yeah I don't I don't know what Draymond is thinking on this I really don't because and he went further and he said all you guys out there that didn't play you're about to lose your jobs because it's going to be we're going to run this thing all former athletes are about to run the media and all this and he, he went further and he you know kept cutting his heel promo here and that's fine but to not understand that Chris Russo and Draymond Green have a lot more in common yep. than anything that differentiates them, to me, is the mistake here. If Draymond just realized, yeah, Chris Russo raised his ire the same way Draymond Green raises people's ire. The only person that talks that I can't stand is the one that doesn't want others to talk. Sure. Draymond Green wants to talk. That's fine. Then you better let the Chris Russos of the world talk or you're a hypocrite. And I don't think Draymond wants to be labeled that way. He also doesn't want to be labeled thin-skinned or anything else. He's got a commentator, some dude on ESPN, saying something that he doesn't like, and immediately he's like, that's racist. I'm like, no, no, you're better than that. Draymond, you're smarter than that. You're savvier than that. It's been, it's beneath Draymond Green to have gone there. I'm disappointed in him. I'm not a giant fan of his. Uh, I, I like him as a player. 
But I'm disappointed that he doesn't recognize that he's staring himself in the mirror when he's looking at Chris Russo. And that somehow it's okay for him, but not okay for Mad Dog. And that was the one thing that Stephen A. Smith seemed to understand, is that we all have strong opinions. That's why I want both of you on my show. This is Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Game three wrapping up. We'll discuss it next. Fox Sports Radio. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Saturday night, the Golden State Warriors. I think you could argue their best performance of the playoffs up 133 to 107. Game three, they are about to take a two to one series lead earlier today in Milwaukee. The Bucks beat. Boston 103-101. We'll get to that game in a minute, Jason. We did an hour on the Warriors. I don't want to spend too much more time on them. But with this win, um, does anything does anything change in kind of the the dynamics of the playoffs for you with this one game? Now, John Moran, as DeSager just told you, limped off. We don't have very many details right now. He walked off on his own accord. I don't think it's anything major. Um, but the Warriors in complete control. They're up two to one. Uh, obviously, they have swung home court advantage back in their favor. Uh, has anything changed? I mean, first of all, it couldn't just maybe not necessarily just this game. But has anything changed in your perspective on the playoffs? Has anything changed on your perspective on the Warriors as they are now up thirty with under a minute to go? 
No, because I already knew they were a good team. And they are proven to be a good team. I want to see what happens in Game 4. Because we're going to find out if there's going to be a lengthy series or if there's not in that. Because if if Golden State goes up 3-1, this thing's going to be over quick. Because this isn't a team that's going to blow a 3-1 lead. Even against a talented team. And look, Moran had 34 before he left the game. Exactly right. Um it doesn't change anything. Now, game four, if they do this again, if they blow them out again, then we can have a different conversation. But there's a lot of talented teams in the league. There's going to be lengthy series, and you have to look at NBA playoff series. One game doesn't necessarily at all dictate what's going to happen in the next game. We saw what happened in game one. It was razor thin, close. Golden State ended up getting it done because Morant couldn't make that last shot. But he had a great game leading into it. And then in game two... He, in the late stages of that game, scored the last 15. Of course, you had the situation where the guy that might have been one of the dudes defending him primarily during the night wasn't there because of the injury. They win the game. You've got to look at playoff series in the NBA like they are book series. And it's not just one book and it's not different chapters. These are different books. And if you've ever read like a series of books, maybe it's Harry Potter or whatever, seven books. Some books, the villains look like they're going to win the thing. And then the next one completely flips the script. We don't know until, if it gets to seven, we don't know. But I don't want to read too much into what's going to happen because the Warriors just came out and played the best game of their season tonight in game three. Because all it means is they're up two games to one. And that's exactly where they want to be. But this thing is far, far from over. It just means Golden State's good. And I already knew that. All this game really reiterates to me is kind of like what I said in hour one is that I I think that sometimes in life and in sports, cliches are, you know, I I think cliches in sports are overblown. But I do think the one that has proven true time and time and time again, when you have one team that has plenty of experience and and there are always exceptions or there's always a time where a, a team gets too old, too beat up, too worn down, too whatever. But when you have one team that's been there, that's done it, that's experienced it, that's been through the ups and downs, and you have one team that hasn't been there, the team that's been there, um, you know, there's a reason, and they're generally going to show it. And and I thought that that was that was tonight. That was what we saw this evening. Is that Golden State? They've been they've been through so many battles. They've been through so many wars. These three, the core guys of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Curry, can add in. Obviously, Kevon Looney's been there as well. This was just the spot where Memphis has never been at this point. The Warriors have been here a million times, and the Warriors, they need to come out in Game 3, in, in complete control, take back home court advantage, and that's exactly what happens. So uh, this is one where, you know, I know that, you know, we obviously, one, we're really fortunate to work this Saturday night because we're reacting in real time to so many things. I don't think there's any amazing overreaction to this one. I mean, I think this was kind of what we all probably expected to happen, maybe not a final score, which is now official of 142 to 112. I don't think anybody thought it was going to be a 30-point differential, but the Warriors do uh, do win this game to go up 2-1 to one in this series. Uh, real quick, Jason, speaking of 2-1, to one, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks also return home uh, as the three seed in their series. It, that series was tied 1-1, one to one, and they win 103-101. to 101. Kind of a wild game. 
Boston was down about 13 points with 10 minutes to go, completely rally, uh, and then all of a sudden Milwaukee makes a couple plays late. There's a very controversial play at the end of the game where Marcus Smart uh, is fouled. He believes he was shooting a three-pointer. The, the The Celtics were down three, I should reiterate, uh, 103-100 with about four seconds to go. Marcus Smart believes he's fouled, you know, shooting in the act of shooting. Instead, it was called on the floor. He makes the first one, misses the second one. The Celtics get a few looks at it. By the time they they put the ball in the basket, time has expired. So Milwaukee's up two to one in this series. I I, I think I have a pretty non bold takeaway from this one, but I'm curious what your thoughts were uh, as Milwaukee again up two to one after a 103-101 win over Boston. I, I'm just I think more than anything, I just marvel at Giannis, mm-hmm. and when he is at his best, I'm not sure I've seen anything quite like it. Like the the strides that he takes. The amount of real estate that he can pull off with three steps is unreal. And the way he can handle the ball, bring it up the floor, how selfless he can be, but how selfish when he needs to be, he is now willing to be. He's got a killer instinct he didn't have a couple of years ago. He's also got a championship under his belt, and that gives you a little bit more confidence and gives you a little bit much more swag. But I think it's just a function of, look, Tatum had a terrible game. He had a horrible game. That's probably not going to happen again because he's a he's a top five, top seven, somewhere in that neighborhood player in the league himself, and is continuing to get better. I like the Celtics makeup, but there's one star that's just risen above the rest. Like this, after Giannis had been kind of locked down a little bit in the first couple of games of the series, at least everything was much more difficult. Uh, today he just came out and said, "No, nah, I'm, I'm Giannis. Today you're going to have nothing for me." So, and that's pretty much what we got. It's funny because that was actually my takeaway. I said I have one big takeaway, and it's this: is that I think that we we all love the next new thing, uh, and Giannis is still very young. Um, but you know, this this playoffs has been about uh, John Morant. It's been about Luca, although Luca's been around now two three years. It's been about the emergence of Jason Tatum, who was frankly the best player on the floor in that series against the Nets when he's going up against. Kevin Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But to me, the big takeaway was, you know, we want to talk about the next big thing and what about this and who about what about this guy? Giannis is the guy right now, right? And yes. and, and like I think that we all, even in the media us in the media and certainly fans listening at home, you know, I think as much as we kind of, you know, poke at LeBron and criticize him for a lot of things, you know, on the court, off the court, being a GM, you know, he brought this guy in, he should have brought in that guy. I think we all kind of understand like this dude is something special that we're never going to see again, and so we pay him that homage. We pay Kevin Durant the homage of, uh, you know, the most feared score in the league, seven foot one, can hit any shot at any point. I don't think there's any guy on both ends of the floor that impacts the game in the way that he does. And oh, by the way, there's other guys on the way up. Like I said, Ja, Jason Tatum, Luca, whatever. But Giannis found something inside of himself in those playoffs last year where. Early in the playoffs, I remember arguing with this with with Arnie on on this show at this time was you know he was doing a lot, but it was Chris Middleton who was closing those games, and then he gets hurt, and then he comes back for the Eastern Conference Finals, and then by the finals, it's like this guy's unbelievable, including that fifty point performance in the closing game uh, against the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals last year. And so I only bring it up to say he found something last year that confidence has continued to you know kind of permeate th- this year and in these playoffs. And that's the best player in the world. That is the best player in the world right now. It's no disrespect to LeBron. It's no disrespect to KD. If you want to talk about, I need one shot, um, you know, whatever. 
But when you look at Giannis, the fact that, you know, as you said, just offensively, like you said, there, there were two or three plays today where catches the ball at the top of the key, spin move, doesn't travel two steps, and he somehow lays it in uh, uncontested. The fact that, you know, at his size, he is a rim protector and a rebounder, which I think is something that, you know, to be, you know, maybe the best playmaker with the ball in your hands on one end of the court, and then to be the best rim protector and rim defender on the other end of the court, I, I mean, Maybe that guy has existed at some point in NBA history. It's not immediately coming to my mind as to who that could be. Maybe LeBron in his absolute peak. Maybe Magic Johnson in his absolute peak. But I, I you know, I was watching today. I've been watching really, obviously, throughout this whole season, dating back to last year's finals. And I'm like, look, this is not a tear down LeBron thing. This is not a tear down KD thing. This is this is the dude right now. Gain that confidence in that NBA championship run last year, and it's only continuing in 2022. That's right. I agree. You couldn't have said it better. I think Giannis is the guy. When he wants to be, there's nobody more unstoppable than that guy because of his physical his physical gifts, his mentality, and the way that he never satisfied. A couple of years ago, he was, he was not satisfied with his performance. Remember, he was getting clowned at the free throw line and all this kind yep. of stuff. And he said in the post game on the floor, he was just like, I'm going to go work. And then you hear during the summer, that's all he's doing is shooting free throws. He's trying to build a shot a little bit better. But when he wants to get to the rack, I'm trying to figure out who's going to stop him because he's so crafty. He's so good with the basketball in his hands. He can get to the rim pretty much at will when he wants to. And at his size, he can bully people. And he bullied good defenders today. I was just watching it mesmerized. I watched him, I watched him in the first round. And I was mesmerized against the Bulls. I was just like, all right, well, Middleton's out. I, I remember it was, an, it was a Sunday game because I'd picked it. I said, I think the Bulls are going to get it today. And they didn't. Not even close. And it's because Giannis was just on another one that day. And he did the exact same thing yesterday. It was just, they're not going to lose because that dude is so A1 right now that it doesn't even matter if the steak is good. The steak sauce is going to be enough to make it a great meal. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's funny because I was thinking, too, is that you know you can't really put them in a box. But for years, I mean, our basically our entire lives as sports fans up until about the last four or five years ago, what was the old cliche? You always go, you know, you always go big before you go small. You always get the big guy before you get the 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 little guy. Um, you know, maybe most famously, although it's not a perfect parallel, you know, Greg Oden at one point went in the draft before Kevin Durant because at some point somebody said, you know, you need that big guy, that anchor down low. And I bring it up because I'm not saying that Giannis is that guy because he's like I said, you can't put him in a box. He's not any one thing. But it does show you like like having a dude that's seven feet that can get get his shot at the rim anytime he wants and can alter your shot anytime he wants. And he averaged eleven and a half rebounds per game. Like it is like a, you know a timeless thing in basketball. Where I get that it's a, a guard spacing three point shooting league now, but the way that Giannis impacts both both ends of the court, uh, I just continue to be mesmerized by him, Jason. I don't know if you have anything in addition to add as we throw rose petals at Giannis's feet, but that was one thing that stood out is is the league has always been about, you know, what can you do at the rim? It's just, the, the sport is easier when you can get easy baskets at the rim and he doesn't look like any center that we've ever had before. In a lot of ways, he doesn't play like any center, but I think that adage stays true with him. Yeah, I don't think there's much that needs to be said other than you know, I think we sometimes take for granted 
the joy and blessing that we have to get to watch the full careers of some of the people at our age. I'm 43. Torres, you're probably pretty close to me. You're probably a little younger than me, but I don't think you're that much younger than me. But I'll either be, be way, 37 in July. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Okay. Not too far. Not too far. I wasn't gonna like call you out and be like, <laughs> you need to tell me how old you are. I know you're not a woman. I definitely wouldn't do it if you were a woman. But mm. we got to watch. Now think about this. We got to watch, at 43, I got to watch Michael Jordan's entire career. I got to watch and and pay attention and be old enough to appreciate Tom Brady, his entire career. Tiger Woods, entire career. The Williams sisters. The greatest men's tennis yes. you know, quartet that we've ever seen in our life. Whether it's Nadal, whether it's Federer, whether it's Djokovic, we've seen them all. We saw Michael Phelps, one of the greatest Olympians of all time. We got to watch every race Usain Bolt competed in. We got to see all of these things. We got to watch LeBron from start to finish. We got to watch Tim Duncan. We got to watch Kobe Bryant's entire career. We're getting to watch Aaron Rodgers now. We're going to watch all like all of these guys, all these all-time greats, where as long as the sport exists, these guys are going to be on the Mount Rushmore without getting into that topic of a lot of these sports. And there's guys that are coming in now that you're just like, my gosh, look at this guy. Look at John Moran and look at all these other kinds of things. And I think this is another one. Giannis is another one where it's like this generation now, you know, even those that are teenagers are going to say, yeah, I watched that dude's entire career. And that, that I think is what sometimes we forget watching sports is how privileged we are, especially at the time in which we have lived to have gotten to watch the level of quality across all sports that we have. We didn't even get into the coaches, but that's the thing too. You know, all of Coach K's career, all of Saban's career, all of Belichick's career, you know, all of Popovich's career. It goes on and on and on and on. And Giannis is another one where as you watch him, you realize you're watching something timeless. You're watching something that is indelible, something that's going to be there for us, something that we should always marvel at because this ain't ever going to get old for me. Watching Giannis Antetokounmpo play basketball is never going to get old for me. Yeah, last little thought. The one, the one thing I will say that makes him really cool is that there are, in basketball, there, especially basketball, there, there are certain guys like you just know you've never seen anything like him before. You know, maybe you'll see somebody like him again. But I mean, even you know Michael Jordan, right? Like there, Kobe was like ninety percent of facsimile of Michael Jordan. Like they, the, the games were very similar. But what's fun about basketball is that you see guys that you're just like, eh, I don't know if I'm ever going to see anybody like that again. Allen Iverson was a guy five foot ten, five foot eleven, whatever, that was scoring thirty one points a game, could get to the rim, could finish, the best athlete on the floor. Um, you know, there's other ones, but I, you know, that's what strikes me with Giannis is maybe someday down the road we'll see a guy that's seven foot one, seven foot, like I said earlier, the best playmaker on one end of the floor, a guy that can just do just about anything with the ball. He's you know, he's working on a three point shot, I get it, but whatever who's also the best rim protector on the floor. We've never seen anything quite like it uh, as Milwaukee is up 2-1 to one in their series against Boston. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. Uh, coming up, we switch to football. Ryan Tannehill. You shouldn't have said that. Fox Sports Radio. <laughs> 
Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Real quick, Jason, prior to the break, we're talking about Giannis. Um, you know, I, I asked you if you had any takeaways from today. You just said how great Giannis was, and that was kind of my takeaway as well, is that it, this isn't a, a, a tear-down LeBron, not a tear-down KD thing. I, I just think that Giannis on both ends of the floor, the way he, he sets others up, the way he can get his own shot, the way he protects the rim on defense, uh, I think he's the best player in the league. And I said that to this point, we have not seen anything like him. And quickly, uh, Jeremiah chimes in. Uh, he says that I think saying we won't see anything like him again is overrated. I'm sure it was said the same about the players before today's, and here we are saying the same about these athletes. We will be saying the same thing 10 to 15 years from now about somebody else. Really quick, I feel like we've seen just about every version of everything I'm really not sure that we're just going to see a seven foot one guy that can handle the ball, break people down, finish at the rim. Uh, the three point shot is improving. Set other people's up. Set other people up. You know, we've seen guys that are six eight, six nine. Magic Johnson, LeBron James. We're talking about seven foot one. The guy who's the best playmaker, the best scorer, uh, and I would argue the best rim protector. Now, he doesn't have a lot of blocks, but his presence down low is the reason that Milwaukee has been a great defensive team for years. So I'm not saying that it could never happen again, that we'll never, that it's definitive, we'll never see it. You can never say never. I'm just saying, I, like you said, Jason, I, I'm about to be 37. I've been watching the NBA for 30-plus years now. Never seen anything like them, and I just think the idea that because uh, the game evolves that we're just going to see a bunch of seven foot one guys 20 years from now just doing what Giannis does, I don't know that I believe that. No, I don't either. But even if you do, it doesn't negate the all-time greatness that we're seeing. It's like, did we really ever see Jordan again? Well, we haven't. Kobe was awfully close, and there's the the crazy LeBron versus MJ stuff that you can go to in sports media if you have nothing else to talk about and all this stuff, but it doesn't negate Michael Jordan's greatness, nor does it negate the greatness of the people that you try to compare him to. If somebody does come around and is similar to Giannis, it's not going to damage the history Giannis is making. It's similar to Kareem, right? Like Kareem had the skyhook. No one's ever been able to duplicate it. I don't know how. I don't know why someone hasn't tried because it's the most unblockable shot in the history of the sport. But Kareem was an all-time great. There have been a lot of other great bigs and dudes that that arguably are more famous now because we live in a society where we're just more connected and we're able to see these guys and we see the headlines and we see the highlights and we're just we just know more because sports is is bigger business and there are twenty four seven sports networks and social media and everything else. But we all know Kareem's great. We all know he's all-time great. So even if we did see something similar to a Giannis Antetokounmpo later on, that's not going to make what Giannis has done any less effective, any less historic, any less of something to appreciate and marvel at. One thing that we have seen uh, quite a bit through the years is a slightly above-average quarterback who is about to be replaced by his team. See what I did there as a transition, Jason Martin? Yeah, I know, I know what yeah, you did. Yeah. No, that was terrible. But uh, in all seriousness, um, so, okay, so here's the deal. I mean, everybody's talked about it, but it, I mean, listen, it was the biggest story in the NFL this week, and it's probably worth addressing. So we all know what happened last week at the NFL draft. The Tennessee Titans, they, they trade A.J. Brown in round one, and we think it's this big indictment on wide receivers. And then as Jason Martin brought up uh, on Saturday's show, he said, well, wait a second now. They drafted a quarterback in the third round. Uh, maybe they just 
just didn't want to pay AJ AJ Brown because they know they're going to be transitioning quarterbacks. That's obviously why you take a guy like uh, Malik Willis. Well, earlier this week, uh, Ryan Tannehill was asked. Ryan Tannehill, of course, the the sitting quarterback, if you will, the the guy that's leading the organization right now, quarterback. Ryan Tannehill was asked about mentoring Malik Willis, third round draft pick. Here's what he had to say. That's part of uh, being in a quarterback room in the same room. You know, we're we're competing against each other. We're uh, you know, watching the same tape, we're, we're doing the same drills. Um, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, but um, you know, if he learns learns from me along the way, then then that's a great thing. That was uh, Ryan Tannehill. So I have, I don't know if I really have any mixed thoughts on this. Like, like I, I don't know. So this is one, Jason. Let me ask you. So you live in Nashville. You cover the Titans. You talk about them five days a week, fifty-two weeks a year. Was this like a real topic? Like, like was this like a? You oh know? my gosh! Okay, go ahead. Tell tell us what the week of Jason Martin hosting on in Nashville with Ramon Foster, former NFL player, was like for you. There was a lot of this, man. This this covered multiple days, and we do a four hour show, and at least one day was basically four hours of Ryan Tannehill. Um, and there were a lot of people with takes. And I came down on the side of pretty much defending Tannehill. Now, I've been pretty critical of his play in the postseason. He's won a lot of regular season games. Nobody has more fourth-quarter comebacks over the last three seasons in the NFL than Ryan Tannehill does for Tennessee. He's been great down the stretch, but he's been bad in January, and that's ultimately what you need a quarterback to be able to do is win for you there. But I feel like if this had been... Patrick Mahomes saying this, it wouldn't have been a it wouldn't have been a story for longer than about five minutes because Patrick Mahomes is viewed differently than Ryan Tannehill. The problem for Ryan Tannehill is this: Ryan Tannehill is now in a market that doesn't want him. He now plays for a city that does not trust him, that does not believe in him, and so anything that goes south, anything that goes awry, anything you can nitpick. To then add fuel to the fire of, I don't want that guy. I don't want him to be my starting quarterback anymore. I hate him because he threw three interceptions against the Cincinnati Bengals. All of those things. And we had people call and say that. That's a dude that just took sling after sling after sling. I think that's the difference. I think at least in our market and why it was being talked about the way it was, was that. I think the comment itself, and I talked to Ramon about this. And I talked to other players this week about this. There's nothing wrong with this at all. When I think of mentor, I think it's how the how the term is used. Like, I don't think that Tannehill is not going to say, hey man, great practice today. Or something like that. But I don't think he's going to sit down with him and go over film one-on-one for six hours and spend a bunch of time barbecuing with him and all this other stuff. When I think of mentors, I think of stuff like an apprenticeship. Where you're learning to woodwork from, you know, someone else who's teaching you the skill, passing it down, and all this other kind of stuff. These dudes are competing for the same job at the same time. Ryan Tannehill has to worry about being QB one in a city that right now is wavering on whether or not they believe he can do anything for them anymore, and is excited about the idea that they now have a tangible look at what the future could be at that position. And so he's got all of that and potentially trying to overcome failures in the playoffs and all these other kinds of things, and he's saying, yeah, it's not my job to mentor him. No, it, it absolutely is not. And I've, I've had many jobs, Aaron, and maybe you have as well, where I've learned 
in the fire. It's not as if somebody that I could take their job is showing me the ropes and giving me like week after week of training. No, I'm learning it standing next to them. We're in the same room. We're watching the same film. We're working with the same coaches. We're having all these conversations. And Malik Willis is is expected for some of that stuff to absorb it, right? Like he's expected to absorb all of that information. It's not like Tannehill's going to close the door and show him nothing. And like, you know, show up with a black cloak on and all this other kind of stuff like he's, you know, Gargamel from the Smurfs. This is a dude that has to worry about his own gig that he currently still has. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, yeah, you know what, I'm. that's not my gig. I'm not supposed to mentor him. I don't think that's really my thing. I also think he kind of is saying it in a way like, I don't know that I'm good enough to mentor him in the first place. Like, I don't know that that's my gig. I mean, don't you have offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches and folks like that? that are supposed to prepare somebody to be there. I don't know that the starting quarterback is supposed to prepare the backup. I don't think that's I don't think that's a thing, Aaron. Well, there's one NFL head coach who agrees with you. We'll hear from him next, but first, let's get to Steve Zager with what's trending. Well, we have an NBA injury to discuss after the Memphis loss at Golden State tonight, 142-112. John Morant scored 34 points in defeat but limped off in the fourth quarter with a bad knee. Now, in the post-game press conference, Memphis coach Taylor Jenkins points out that Golden State's Jordan Poole grabbed Morant's knee and yanked it. When asked if he's saying that Poole did so on purpose, the coach said, I'm curious. If you see the video, John Morant was being double-teamed at midcourt in the second half of tonight's game. The ball came loose, and from behind, Jordan Poole puts a left hand on Morant's back And with the right hand, he reaches around to the right kneecap and does a quick yank on it. Not at the ball, but at the knee of the player. Ja Morant himself has tweeted out that clip and simply wrote, broke the code, in a reference to what Steve Kerr said earlier in the series. Golden State is up two games to one. Steph Curry with 30 points. Jordan Poole had 27 points off the bench. Milwaukee edge Boston 103-101. Giannis Antetokounmpo 42 points. Jason Tatum 10 points for the Celtics. Four of 19 shooting. Boston's late tip-in came just after the buzzer. Two more NBA games tomorrow. Phoenix up two games to one is at Dallas. Then Miami up two games to one is at Philadelphia. And Philly was fined by the league $50,000 today for how they injury reported on Joel Embiid this week. NHL playoffs, easy wins for Colorado and Washington. Pittsburgh a 7-4 winner against the Rangers. And in the late game, it is end of two at Dallas. Stars 2-2 with Calgary. To Major League Baseball, the Dodgers swept a doubleheader from the Cubs at Wrigley after yesterday's rainout. First game 7-0, the win to Clayton Kershaw 4-0. Second game 6-2 LA. Mookie Betts with five RBIs. San Francisco's Wilmer Flores with six RBIs in the FS1 game tonight. Giants 13-7 over the Cardinals. San Francisco ends a five-game losing streak. The Colorado Rockies have just scored four runs in the top of the ninth and won 4-1 at Arizona. Atlanta beat Milwaukee and Corbin Burns 3-2. The Padres have just been shut out by the Marlins 8-0. That includes five runs in the ninth inning. So Miami's six-game losing streak is over. Nationals lead the Angels in Anaheim 7-3 in the top of the eighth. Washington with three homers. Nationals record just 9-19. And And top of the eighth at Seattle, Rays a 3-1 leader over the Mariners. And it looks like it's 4-1 as they've just literally, as speaking, come across with another one. Cincinnati split a doubleheader with Pittsburgh. Toronto split a doubleheader with Cleveland. Houston won its sixth game in a row. White Sox won their fifth 
fifth in a row. We had three more rainouts today after six rainouts yesterday. The Kentucky Derby was won by Rich Strike at 80 to 1 odds, winning by three quarters of a length. Zandon was one and a half lengths behind, finishing third. This is the horse that opened as a three to one favorite earlier this week. The last place horse finished nearly 65 lengths back, but quite a story. A claimer, essentially. Someone who was not in the original field of 20 horses for this just got in with a scratch from somebody else on Friday. It winds up winning the Derby. Back to you. Thank you, Steve DeSager. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. Um... So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the uh, Ryan Tannehill quotes, but this John Morant tweet really piqued my interest, Jason. And so let me set this up. Uh, Obviously, we know it's been a very chippy series. Game one, Draymond Green ejected for the hit slash tug of of Brandon Clark. Game two, uh, Dylan Brooks ejected and, of course, was suspended for game three for the hit uh, basically across the face of Gary Payton that has him out for a few weeks. After the game, Steve Kerr had some comments, was not very happy about Dylan Brooks. Here is what Steve Kerr had to say. Everybody's going to compete and everybody's going to fight for everything, but there's a code in this league. There's a code that players follow um, where you, you never put a guy's season slash career in jeopardy by taking somebody out in midair and clubbing him across the head and ultimately fracturing Gary's elbow. So that was uh, Steve Kerr after game two. Game three, as DeSager just told you, Ja Morant late in the game going for, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to make a play. Ball kind of gets knocked out. Jordan Poole takes a grab at his knee. Ja Morant says, Ja Morant tweets out after the game, quote unquote, broke the code. I'll just say this, Jason, two things. One, I love it because I just love sports when we don't ever want to see anybody get hurt. That, that's obvious. But when there is genuine disdain between the organizations, between the teams, that makes for the best iteration of whatever we're watching football, basketball, baseball, whatever. So I love that there seems to be very clear disdain. But two, I was also kind of annoyed by Steve Kerr's quotes the other night. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've said this really dating back to when, if you remember during the regular season, Marcus Smart dove for a loose ball, thought it was a little too close to Steph Curry's ankles, and Steve Kerr mid-game pulled him aside and, and you know, kind of gave him a lecture. And I said, Steve Kerr's getting some big Coach K vibes as far as I'm concerned. Like the the pretentious, you know, there's only one way to do it. So I didn't love the the code comments because I thought it was a it was a tough play it was a hard foul it was very unfortunate that Gary Payton got hurt uh, but I didn't think it was significantly more egregious than what Draymond Green did in game one but Draymond it was fine uh, Dylan Brooks it was not so it appears as though those quotes got back to the Memphis locker room it appears as though John Morant was not very happy as late in the game uh, Jordan Poole made a grab at his knee you can find it on social media if you're near a computer or a phone and John Morant tweets out, broke the code in reference to Steve Kerr after game two. Yeah, and Jordan Poole uh, saw a replay of it and he said it was a basketball play. This is quoting him. Obviously, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. I'm not that type of player. That's not my type of game. I hope he's back for game four. Um, of course, there's calls for him to be suspended and all this. I disagree with you. I think what Draymond did in game one was nothing. I thought what happened in Game 2 was egregious. I actually believe that Dylan Brooks should be out for the series. I don't believe he should be back for the series at all because he knocked out Gary Payton for a month, fractured his elbow, 
and that was as dirty as it gets. Like, you could talk about really? a playoff foul, and it was uh, dirty. I mean, it was dirty, but the only difference is that, unfortunately, Gary Payton got hurt. I don't think it was significantly less dirty than Draymond Green's play. Draymond's going. Draymond, though, Draymond was in the flow of the game. Like, that, that looked like he was going for the ball. That was not, to me, I thought that ejection was incredible. I, like I said, we talked earlier. I'm not a huge Draymond fan because of some of the antics, but in there, I thought he got totally screwed. And actually, when he did the double bird in game two, I was like, I could see why he would be irritated by everything that's going on right now, especially cheering the injury and all that kind of stuff. But to what happened tonight, and I'm trying to find the actual clip of it now, there's also something else being talked about, which is that Desmond Bain dove at Jordan Poole's knee Mm. as well. So there could be more to all of this going on. What we knew is because there was a one-game suspension, and that was it. And it really, I felt like it should have been more. And this whole thing keeps escalating. You wondered whether or not was it going to escalate again. And I don't know that it has. But if Jaw is out, that's not what the NBA wants. That's not what the NBA needs. Do you realize that John Morant, I saw this a little while ago, John Morant is actually the most viewed athlete on the NBA's social media platforms. Wow. The most viewed guy. They want him in these games. This becomes a much bigger story because it's him. Like Gary Payton the second and that situation, that carried the day on a lot of sports media because there wasn't a whole lot of other things going on. John Morant becomes a gigantic story. And I don't know that it's serious. It didn't look terribly serious. I think his dad, they asked his dad about it, and his dad said something like, well, he walked past me, I asked him, are you good? And he didn't respond, but I think he's okay. But then Ja looked upset on the sideline. But I think John might have been upset because of what he thinks Jordan Peele might have tried to do in that in Jordan Poole <laughs> I was heard trying that, to do yeah. in that moment. Yeah, Jordan Peele. That's it. Key and Peele. I'll tell you what, it would know. be it'd, be it'd be an even bigger story if it was Jordan Peele who pulled off that move. But that'd uh, be huge. Listen, uh, we'll get back to this because this this is really interesting. John Morant limps off, limps off the court to end Game Three. Uh, the Warriors win by thirty tonight. For those who have, uh, those of you who are just joining us, Golden State one forty two, Memphis one twelve. The story after though. It appears as though Jordan Poole, is he going to grab for the basketball? Who knows? He grabs John Morant's knee. John Morant, very clearly not happy. We'll continue that conversation next. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. An otherwise uninteresting, I mean, I hate to call it that, Jason, but an otherwise uninteresting uh, Golden State win over Memphis. For people who missed it, Golden State wins game three, 142 to 112. Did get very interesting late as uh, late in the game, John ja Morant, there, he's dribbling, he kind of loses the ball, he's going to grab it. Jordan Poole grabs his leg in the process, kind of sort of twists his knee. It didn't look violent. Uh, Jordan Poole was asked about it after the game, said that it was, wasn't was intentional. He's not that kind of player. We'll have that sound for you here coming up. Um, but that was on top of a play involving Jordan Poole and Desmond Bain. The one thing that seems very clear to me, Jason, these two teams do not like each other. And these two teams, this is going. This is all of a sudden a very chippy series. And listen, uh, to be abundantly clear, I don't want anybody getting hurt. All I am saying, though, is that I think sports are their best when the two teams do not like each other, and it seems very clear to me 
that these two teams are not fans of each other, their style of play. We got guys going back and forth in the media. We got guys going at coach. It's just, it's a, it's 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 just a it's 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 a fun series. Obviously, again, don't want injuries, but it seems like uh, these two teams do not like each other. This is why I told you this was a series I was looking so forward to watching was because I kind of saw some of this coming, not necessarily the chippiness, but what you're seeing from Memphis is a young team going against a team that they respected because they watched those dudes win titles before they were in the NBA. Memphis is one of the youngest teams in the league. Golden State was some elder statesmen to go along with some of their young players. And Memphis has tried to make a statement with their physicality. Maybe they've crossed the line a little bit here and there. But they basically are like, you're not going to punk us. The problem for them is they got absolutely dominated um, on Saturday night. And I we didn't talk about it, but as they were getting into the fourth quarter, I'm thinking to myself, all right, you guys are down 30. Can you get John Moran out of the game? Somebody, and the same thing, like they were asking a question like five minutes later with like, why why would Steph and Clay and guys like that be in? Like the only thing that can happen now is get hurt. Like there's no, there's no, it's like we know Jaw's good. Like he, he doesn't need to continue to play tonight. They're not going to win even with his 30 points or whatever he finished with 34 before he got hurt. I was just wondering, I was just like, why is he in the game? That's why it doesn't make sense. Like if Jordan Poole's going to injure him, at least let that be in a close game if you want to say that's a dirty play. I went back and I've watched it about 30 times now uh, on a close up watching it. I just, I don't believe that was intentionally designed to hurt John Morant. I don't. I think it's unfortunate, but I don't that didn't look like it had malice or forethought. There was a basketball that was loose. He was reaching for it, but he couldn't quite get to it and there was a knee. I didn't feel like he like tore, this was not Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. At least <laughs> and maybe I need to watch it another 30 times, but I I do not see I can understand Memphis's coach Taylor Jenkins, you know, wanting to say something about it or whatever. But this to me seems like if you want to try and make this into something, I guess you could, but it feels overblown. Well, that's why that that we're talking about it right now because to me it doesn't look malicious either. Uh, but John Morant is certainly making in, making it into something by tweeting out. Um, Broke the code, a reference to Steve Kerr's comments after Game 2 with the Dylan Brooks uh, foul that led to a, a, a serious injury with uh, with Gary Payton the second. So, no, I mean, you know, I'm with you, is that it, it doesn't look malicious to me. Well, listen, we all, we've all we all watched sports enough to know where when a guy definitively crosses a line, this doesn't feel like it to me. Um, it just speaks to, man, this, is, this has been a fun series. I mean, you know, considering we just got a 30-point win by Golden State, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just excited to see the next game on Monday, and it seems as though, Jason, these two do not like each other. Uh, and I, I, I'm more confident now, assuming John Morant's healthy, that this one's probably going to go six, if not seven. So, Yeah, well, game four is going to determine it all. I mean, he had 34, and they lost by 30. So they've got a – the biggest thing there was – they shot 61% from the field. They Golden State. At one point, they were over 70%. They just couldn't miss. They were good from distance. They were good up close. This was just a virtuoso performance from them, and Memphis has got to make sure that it doesn't happen twice in a row. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Coming up, we continue the conversation on this Golden State. Memphis jaw is not happy. We'll look at the NFL. Chris Plank will join us uh, in about an hour from now as well. Fox Sports Radio. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Hour number three, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Should mention top of, not top of this hour, top of next hour. So basically, we're talking 11 Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. Chris Plank filling in for Bernie Fratto. Chris Plank will join us next hour. Chris will be fun, uh, Jason. We could save this uh, you know, heavy conversation for before we bring on Plank next hour. But Plank, of course, covers Oklahoma. Uh, Lincoln Riley has certainly been in the news, so I am excited to hear from Plank on what his thoughts are on uh, Lincoln Riley's alleged, alleged shenanigans involving the transfer portal tampering, things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to talk to Plank, and we can also talk to him about some of the stuff that's coming out this week from coaches and folks, higher-up executives at universities when it relates to the transfer portal and the NIL and all of that because it's getting wild. Uh, a lot of the things, they've got to figure something out. And some of the things that have been suggested this week are actually pretty good. And so we can talk to them about those things as well. By the way, Draymond is now commenting on the <laughs> John right. Morant, uh, Jordan Poole situation and joking about how everybody thinks they're soft and Memphis is super physical, and ever since he's been there, they've been viewed as a soft team and all this. I'm watching it through the captions on the screen, but I'm just like, 
Okay, and he's got a, he's got like a smirk on his face and a grin on his face and all this other kind of stuff. I'm like that this kind of thing right here is probably the the kind of stuff Chris Russo was talking about. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's reset what happened tonight. The Chris Russo stuff we might revisit later in the show, but uh, Golden State beats Memphis one forty two to one twelve, and we just kind of we're sitting there thinking John Morant did limp off, you know, with probably about a minute to go, and I, I kind of saw it out of the corner of my eye. For those who don't know, Jason and I are in st- a studio. We obviously don't have sound and. So I just said, man, I just hope John Morant's okay, not not really thinking anything of it. The reason I bring it up is because late in the game, John Morant's dribbling, kind of loses the ball, goes to grab for the ball, and Jordan Poole kind of grabs and twists his knee. And so we've heard a lot of different reaction, although I will say one of the more interesting reactions did come from Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, here is what Taylor Jenkins had to say. Here's what Taylor Jenkins, sorry, my apologies. Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. Coach, when you say uh, Jordan grabbed his knee and yanked it, are you saying he did it on accident, on purpose? Was he trying watch to watch the, the film? I don't know. Oh, you know. I'm, just, you, I'm, did you I'm say saying that happened. It triggered it. Okay. But are you saying, I'm asking, I, I don't are know you what saying that he did it on head. purpose or accident? No, I didn't say that it went on purpose. I said the play no, happened. No, no. Which one is it? There was a grab. I'm just curious what happened. Okay. So that was Taylor. First of all, shout out to first of all, shout out to that reporter who would not just accept the answer for what it was. He asked him three, four different ways. Also, uh, Taylor Jenkins has given us plenty of late night Saturday content. Jason, I don't know if you remember. I think it was. It wasn't last week. It must have been two weeks ago. Yeah, when he, Minnesota about the officiating. Yeah, he called it the worst officiated game ever. So, John Morant's knee is grabbed. First of all, what do you think of Taylor Jenkins there? It doesn't accuse Jordan Poole of being dirty, but doesn't not accuse him of being dirty either. I mean, he basically accused him of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, in certain terms, he's wanted to make sure it was a story right there. Um, look, he's talking a lot for somebody I'd never heard of until about I know, this year. me too. You know, like, I mean, it, it, this isn't a act like you've been there situation or I need you to have done something before you talk. Taylor Jenkins is just bull in the china shop here. Like, he doesn't seem to care. He's He's made a couple of comments. You know, he got fined for what he said about the officials. This he won't get fined for, but it just seems like he's got no problem just dropping a couple nuggets here and there, being passive-aggressive, sometimes being directly aggressive. Like It's interesting to watch him operate because, again, not exactly a household name in the NBA for most people, for most of the fans of the league, and he is already becoming a bit of a character. A bit of a character, and obviously he wasn't the only one from that Memphis locker room that reacted. Um, Ja Morant tweeting out uh, broke the code. Uh, that was obviously in reference to uh, to something that Steve Kerr said a little while uh, said after game two. I'm looking right now. He may have deleted that tweet. I'm trying to find it. Um, but said broke the code. That's in reference to yeah, he did. How about all right? We got a new twist here, Jason. Ja you Morant. Mean John Morant has now, no, bad pun, definitely not intended. Uh, after the game, uh, this is why people, by the way, screenshot tweets because, uh, uh, so, okay, so let me reset this. Knee is twisted. I, I just said that. We heard from Taylor Jenkins. 
John Morant tweeted out, quote-unquote, broke the code, which is in reference to something Steve Kerr said. I almost said Steve DeSager. It would have been cool if Steve DeSager said it. but Steve- He could say it. He's in 30 minutes when he joins us. Work that into the update, Steve. Yes. I know you're listening right now. Find a way to work it in. That way Torres is proven correct. I think I broke the code by previewing Steve DeSager's segment before, before it was intended. But anyway, John Morant tweets out, broke the code. It's a reference to something Steve Kerr said. John Morant has now de- deleted that tweet, which makes me wonder if he... It, it took off in a way he wasn't expecting or whatever. Do we have any thoughts on John Morant now now, uh, now um, deleting the tweet and what it may mean for what he thinks, or do you think he just thought that it, it blew up in a way that he wasn't expecting or what? I don't lot. know. Like I, don't, I don't know here. why you delete it because we already know what's happened. For Again, sure. the internet is written in Sharpie. It's not even written in ink you can wash. Like there, You can't even smudge it. It's there. We, we know what was said. So the question then is, what changed? Did he see replays? Was he told when he got to the sidelines, Jordan tried to hurt you, and then he went and saw it and realized it didn't happen? Was there another conversation that's been had? I don't know, because I don't know what you gained from deleting it, unless you actually believe it's inaccurate. But even when you delete it, deleting is not the same as sending a tweet saying, you know what, I don't think Jordan was trying to hurt me. Like that, That is you actually taking ownership of the fact that what I said right there, that actually wasn't true. Deleting it, most people just see the original tweet. Most people don't know, Aaron, that he deleted it. Now, yes. they might find it through other people that they follow, but the initial tweet is the, if anything has impact, it's going to be the initial tweet unless there's an actual written you know, mea culpa or, you know what, I think I spoke too soon or whatever. I don't know what it is. I, I'm not sure why he would have deleted it. I don't know either. The only person that we have not yet heard from on this whole fiasco is the player who did the twisting. That is Jordan Poole, which sounded weird. Another weird commentary by me. Uh, here is what Jordan Poole had to say about the whole incident. Yeah, I mean, as a basketball player, I mean, we went, we doubled him, um, and I hit the ball, and I was going for the ball. I mean, obviously, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. I'm not even that type of player. I respect everybody, so. I mean, obviously, hopefully we get better. Hopefully he gets better and, um, you know, we can see him out there next game. But, you know, I don't even play like that for real. That's not my type of game. All right, so hopefully we can put knee gate to an end here, Jason. Uh, knee is twisted by Jordan Poole. John Morant tweets out, broke the code, then deletes the tweet. Uh, Taylor Jenkins basically accuses Jordan Poole of being dirty without being dirty. Jordan Poole responds by saying, I had no intention of hurting him. I'll just say really quick before I throw it over to you, if you watch the play, if you have not seen the play, again, final seconds of the game, probably about a minute, 90 seconds left in the game, loose ball, Jaws dribbling, he loses it, he goes to grab it, they both go to grab it, Jordan Poole grabs and twists John Morant's knee, uh, didn't look aggressive in real time, John Morant did leave that game and walked off with a little bit of a limp, uh, no word yet on the severity of the injury, but I'll just say, as somebody who's, like you said, I've watched the replay probably a hundred times by this point, did not look malicious to me. Yeah, again, and it's happening in the fourth quarter of a game that you're blowing that team out in. Like, it, the, even the circumstances don't really make sense. Yeah, he had 34 points, but he was going to need 70 for them to win that game. And they're, again, they're in the fourth quarter. It's not the first or the second quarter. The game's not in doubt. There's no real reason to have done it in the first place. To me, <clears throat> there's one winner here, and that would be the NBA. Because this just makes it that much more interesting. Whether or not you like this kind of thing, whether or not you don't like this kind of thing, whether you like the Pistons of the 80s, if you like that kind of ball or whatever, this is drama. 
this just adds a little bit more. You've had something in game one, you've had something in game two, and guess what? Now you've had something in game three. The one in game one, those were not that was not a superstar that was was the victim of what happened. In game two, two players that weren't exactly superstars, even though they were key to their teams. This one's one of the possible faces of the league getting involved. So it has escalated just because of the potential victim of said crime here. But the biggest thing is, now you got to watch Game 4, right? Is Game 4 going to be the one where nothing happens? Because I figured nothing would happen tonight because he had 1 and 2. And, all right, both teams, keep it down. Let's go play a basketball game. And now you've got this story coming out. I think it's an overblown story, but it doesn't matter. It's a story that's been overblown, that's out there, that's going to be talked about Monday on a lot of shows, we're lucky enough to be able to react to it in real time. It'll be talked about tomorrow. It'll be talked about Monday going into Game 4. And the winner is the NBA because it just adds that much more entry to a series that's already a whole lot of fun. Yeah, and I'll say this. I mean, you know, something that we kind of touched on early in the show that we never got back to, uh, terrible job piloting the show by me, but the ratings have been way up in these NBA playoffs overall. But more importantly, last Sunday's Game 1 of this series, 7.71 million viewers were which was the highest audience for a semifinal opener since 2011, which was when LeBron was on the Miami Heat and they were playing the Boston Celtics. Maybe at that point still had Paul Pierce and all them. I don't remember the exact time frame of where the Celtics were at that point. But we're talking about seven years since we've um, since we've seen a, a playoff game in the opening round of the conference semifinals be rated this high. And this is also the highest rated NBA game in general outside of the finals since Christmas Day of 2019. So this was already a series that people are into, Jason. And now you look at, again, the drama, the... um the, the, the fact that these two teams very clearly don't like each other. I, I think, assuming John Morant's healthy, it's to your point. It, it, this is only good for the NBA because, you know, kind of friction creates creates interest, drama creates interest. And I'm just going to say it. I, I think there's a lot of times where we try to push narratives that does this team like that team? Do they really like them? I don't think they like them. I think they're enemies. They're this or that. I think it's pretty clear that at least from the Memphis perspective, they do not like the Golden State Warriors. It's almost like, as you said, uh, whether it's, you know, going back to the last dance, whether it's, uh, you know, Jordan feeling like he didn't get respect with the Celtics or certain teams feeling like they didn't get respect from Jordan. It seems very clear to me the Memphis Grizzlies feel like the the Warriors get away with some stuff that other people don't. And as you said, I think it's going to lead to a lot of conversation tomorrow, a lot of conversations uh, Monday, and then it's going to lead to a must-watch game four on Monday night. Yeah, I also think that there is just this Memphis team wants everybody to realize they deserve to be here. I know you look at Memphis, even though they're the higher seed, even though they're they're the two seed, nobody is viewing them that way, or a lot of people are not. And I think, in effect, they're basically telling Golden State, look, we know you've won championships and we don't care. We're, we're young, but we just saw a really young football team in the Super Bowl. They didn't win it, but they were right there. And they've got rookie studs, and guess what? We've got rookie studs, we've got young guys, and we're not going to wait our turn. We're going to jump the line if you give us half the chance. So they've been the aggressors. They've been the more physical team. And look, whatever happened tonight happened tonight in terms of the score as well as the injuries. But I think that's more. I think that's part of it is they walked in with a chip on their shoulder like, yeah, we know what everybody knows about you guys. We understand how people feel like this series is going to go. We understand Steph Curry's a Hall of Famer, Clay's a Hall of Famer, Draymond's probably a Hall of Famer. We know how good you are, Jordan Peele or Jordan Poole. I've now <laughs> done it twice. Yep. 
Steve Kerr, all this kind of stuff. And Memphis is just like, and we don't care. You've still got to beat us four times, and we're going to make it really tough on you. In fact, we're going to be really irritating along the way. And that's exactly what you want. A young team that respects the older team enough to say, you will not punk us. And I like that. That's exactly what's happening. Game four again on Monday night. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday night. Coming up, we look at some of the other series across the NBA. Dallas takes a game last night. Philly takes a game last night. Did we learn anything about those series heading into game four tomorrow in each? Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, that's next. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Saturday night into Sunday. For everybody on the East Coast, by the way, happy Mother's Day. Jason, you guys doing anything special for uh, for your beautiful bride? Or, you know, I, I know your your mom isn't close by. But you, what you she get? was up. She was up on Saturday, Torres. Oh. Uh, we actually, what we had, we had it special where my wife, her mom, and my mom all went out with my daughter, my one-year-old. They went out uh, kind of for brunch, oh, girls lunch together, and then me and my dad just kind of stayed behind. We had that conversation. We actually watched uh, Bucks Celtics and just kind of hung out. So they, we just decided to to do a lot of it on Saturday. I asked her what she wanted for dinner, and we're going to take care of that coming up today but we just kind of decided to do it a day early and so yeah we've already done something cool but happy mother's day obviously to everybody out there that is a mother and make sure you say it to every woman you see just happy mother whoever they are uh they're doing some unbelievable stuff yeah and take the time you know spend your time spend time with your mother with your your wife with your grandmother with your daughter if she like you know we just the world moves so fast and you know one thing i'm looking forward to my mom's going to be in town tomorrow uh like you said um uh, i'm fortunate enough where my mother-in-law and my mom and we're all going to go i will be there so i i will be part of the uh lunch tomorrow but excited to uh, spend mother's day with both my mother my mother-in-law uh, my wife, who is not a mother, and my my sister is actually not a mother either. But uh, but really excited for tomorrow. Uh, let's get back to some sports because obviously, look, we we've I think we've covered soup to nuts everything that there is to say about the John Morant Jordan Poole twist of the knee. Uh, we'll get some Steph Curry sound in a little bit because he was actually asked about it, and he has kind of the same opinion that you and I do, Jason, which is that uh, you know everybody needs to calm down. It, 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 it didn't appear to be malicious, all that, and so we'll hear from Steph Curry here in a little bit but with that said there were two game threes last night and there will be two game fours tomorrow on Sunday on Mother's Day as the uh, as the big one. Well, both games are pretty big, but Phoenix plays Dallas uh, in a little bit of an early one, about 3.30 Eastern time, 12.30 Pacific. And then at night, we'll get Miami-Philadelphia in game three, in game four as well. Excuse me, I think I might have said game three for Phoenix-Dallas, but those will both be game fours. Philadelphia wins last night. They, they, you know, they're still trailing two to one. But the big story there, Joel Embiid's return. Dallas also took care of Phoenix. I'll just say this really quick, Jason. You know, the Dallas thing. It felt cool. It felt, you know, I'm happy. You know that they're, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't see this as some big turning point in the series. I don't know that I feel the same about Philadelphia. I still think they're a significant underdog, but. Um, you know, but but having Joel Embiid back last night, uh, you know, I, I thought they, it, they just played with a lot more confidence. If Miami struggled, the 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 point I guess I'm trying to get to is that it does feel like to me maybe yesterday was more important for Philadelphia. They get the win at home. I know Dallas did as well, but they have Joel Embiid back. They played with more confidence, and now Philly trying to tie up that series two two tomorrow against Miami. 
Yeah, what you're saying about Dallas and Phoenix, my dad actually asked me, or he said this to me, he goes, so, son, Luka Doncic is pretty good, right? And then he said, he's actually really good. And I said, yeah, dad, he's really good, but he's not enough. Mm-hmm. And dad said, yeah, he isn't. You're right. And that's kind of where I am. Like, he is one of these guys that still needs a running buddy. And I mean a legit running buddy that is championship level himself. He needs a Chris Middleton type. He needs somebody else that can score. He needs somebody else that can get their own shot. He needs somebody else. It's all on him. And it's just not enough. As great as he is, it's just not enough. Well, you just can't do that anymore. I mean, you see it. You see all-time great players that can't get, can't even sniff the finals because of the supporting cast around them. And I don't think Dallas has a bad team around them. I just don't look at a championship team around them. Not in this NBA. Not with what we're seeing here. So I, I tend to agree with you there. The key to the Philadelphia series is whether or not James Harden can go in the wayback machine and give okay. them a couple so, of games where he puts up some serious point totals. Because we know if Embiid is healthy, what Embiid can do. But again, can he do it by himself? And the answer is no. So let me ask you this, because we just heard from uh, Jason Smith and Mike Harmon during the break about, um, you know, they said on their show, I don't know if it was after if it was after last night's game or what, but basically said that the James Harden that we see is not the James Harden that was the MVP caliber player. And I'll tell you this, you know, if I have one big takeaway from these playoffs, besides, you know, Giannis, I believe, has ascended to the best player in the world. James Harden just ain't that dude anymore. Um, you know, I was watching game two, I think it was, uh, you know, and it was just striking how, <laughs> I hate to be crass here, but how unathletic he was relative yeah. to some of the other. Yeah, like like I'm watching, you know, him try to blow by Victor Oladipo, and it's not even close. I'm trying, I'm watching, you know, Tyler Hero guard him and, uh, you know, P.J. Tucker guard him. And I'll just be honest, you, you know, you said, can James Harden turn back the clock? I mean, maybe he can for a night or two. I think we're officially at the point where it's it's he's on the other side of that you know that that hump here where I mean he's averaging you know respectable numbers here in these playoffs but uh, you know not shooting great from the field he's shooting thirty two percent from three um, I just think I don't think he's that guy anymore I really don't and I don't know if Philadelphia can win this series if he's not the guy uh, and I think that's kind of a fascinating turn not only for this series but like the future of the NBA, right? Like, you trade for this guy because you need a running mate for Joel Embiid. I don't know. Like, like I don't think it's going to turn in this series, and I don't think that he can be that guy going forward, anything other than a complimentary player. No, I don't either. And I've said that now for – I said that when they acquired him in Brooklyn last year. It's just like, if you think you're getting the guy from Houston, that dude doesn't exist anymore. And Mike D'Antoni's not going to be his coach either. So the offense is going to be different. Not to mention, when's the last time James Harden was in like what you would consider to be elite superstar shape? It doesn't happen very often. That's one thing that's actually that Doncic is getting knocked for a little bit now is conditioning and things like that. He's got to stay healthy. And when it comes to Harden, if Harden can't blow by you, the step back doesn't scare you as much because you go ahead and step forward. And I know you're not get getting free- past me. And he can't get to the free throw line 20 times right. a game either. Exactly, and he he scored a lot doing that. He is much closer to being a three than he is a one. And honestly, he might even be a three. He's more of a spot-up shooter at this point. And if he's shooting 32% from three, that ain't going to help you very much either. At this point in his career, he is like Grant Hill after all the injuries. 
standing well, granted, out there, he can make some shots. Or Penny Hardaway late in his career. I mean, like Phoenix Penny Hardaway. Yeah, only those guys had actual injuries, though. This guy, it's all self-inflicted, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's totally on him, but those are the comparisons. Just like dudes that you knew at some point in their career, those dudes were unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. And they went from that to just kind of being afterthoughts, where it's like they were bigger names than they were players. They had to fit into the role. James Harden ain't, as you said, and as Smith and Harmon said, he ain't that guy, and he hasn't been for a minute. And I was pretty sure he wasn't going to be in Brooklyn. Then we saw it for ourselves. If he was that guy, do you really think Kevin Durant would have wanted him out? Do you really think that the Nets would have gotten him out of there to go for Ben Simmons? No. There's two problems with James Harden. James Harden is now an albatross on the floor, and the bigger concern is he doesn't help your chemistry. He doesn't ever make a team more cohesive. It doesn't happen. He's not a glue guy. He's an anti-glue guy, as a matter of fact. Like it doesn't, it doesn't compute. So if he's not able to blow by you, get to the free throw line, and do the James Harden wizardry thing, he's he's a little bit he's a little bit better version of Russell Westbrook in much worse shape. That's about where you are. Listen, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to do, uh, you know, back-to-back James Harden segments, but I think you opened up some very interesting conversations about his future, about the 76ers' future. I want to discuss that next. But first, let's get to Steve DeSager with What's Trending. What's up, DeSager? Gentlemen, Canelo Alvarez is apparently losing in Las Vegas tonight. Whoa. He is favored to take the WBA 175-pound title. We've got boxing going in Las Vegas, and we've got UFC going in Phoenix at the same time. Now, for boxing, it's in Vegas, and it's Cinco de Mayo weekend, and Canelo is back there. He's 57-1 and with two draws in his career, and yet, in the 10th round, the LA Times, for one, has him trailing 87 84. In fact, they had the opponent winning seven of the first nine rounds at one point. Canelo is 31 years old from Mexico. This is a guy who's had 20 world title fights. This is only the 20th pro fight for his opponent, Dimitri Bavol, age 31 from Kyrgyzstan, 19-0 and as a pro. So we'll keep you updated on this. Meanwhile, the co-main event for UFC in Phoenix not getting good reviews. It's Rose Namajunas in progress against Carla Esparza. And coming up later, Charles Oliveira against Justin Gaethje, and you may have heard yesterday, Oliver was stripped of the title after missing weight by half a pound. In the late NHL game, Dallas Stars have just won 3-2 to two over Calgary to take a two-games-to-one lead in that first-round series. Pittsburgh up two games to one after beating the Rangers 7-4. Easy wins for Colorado and Washington. And the Kentucky Derby was won by Rich Strike at 80-1 to one odds. To the NBA playoffs... I don't know about no code, but Golden State beat Memphis one forty two to one twelve. Ja Morant thirty four points <laughs> limped off in the he fourth quarter with a knee injury. I will say one thing, and it took me about the fifth time watching the video to see this, so I clearly understand why it was not called. With this loose ball at center court, and that's when Morant got hurt. You can see Golden State's Jordan Poole behind him at the same time. Shoves him with the left hand in the back, Morant's back, while the right hand kind of tweaks, yanks the right kneecap. Uh, That's not a basketball play. It it would be a technical if they had seen it live. I'm not calling for suspension or saying it was dirty, 
but it's not the kind of thing that you could do legally on a basketball court, put it that way. John Morant, again, 34 and limping off, and limped to the bus, by the way, not taking questions in the hallway at the arena. Milwaukee up two games to one after beating Boston 103-101. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 42 points. Celtics got four tips at the basket in the final seconds the fourth win in that was after the buzzer in major league baseball everything is final tampa bay has won its sixth straight game eight to two at seattle the seattle mariners have now lost six in a row washington was nine and 19 but they beat the angels seven three in anaheim miami ended a six game losing streak with an eight nothing win at san diego and colorado with four runs in the top of the ninth a four one winner at arizona Atlanta beat Milwaukee 3-2. On FS1, San Francisco ended a five-game losing streak with a 13-7 victory over St. Louis. The Dodgers swept a doubleheader from the Cubs. And this from the LA Times, updating from Las Vegas, Canelo Alvarez has two rounds to pull a rabbit out of his hat, end quote. So yes, they do clearly feel he is trailing late in this bout. Back to you. Thank you, Steve Sager. Sager, I mean, obviously I know, it will, depending on what happens with Canelo, but what else you got for us? You'll be back with us in about 10 minutes for an extended update. You did reference the very good opening game TV ratings for Golden States. We'll expand on the week and also talk about Thursday night when, remember, there was no NBA at all. And the That's Turner right. channels had four NHL playoff games mm. with oh, no, no NBA going up against them. We'll update that from Thursday. Well, thank you, Steve Sager. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. We'll keep you updated on the boxing match. And of course, DeSager will be back in about 10 minutes from now. Uh, Jason, so yeah, no, uh, the, 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 James Harden stuff got really interesting there because, you know, I remember what whatever it was, two, three weeks ago, we're on during game three of the Celtics Nets series when it's clear mm-hmm. that the, the Nets are not going to pull a rabbit out of their hat to use the, the term DeSager just used. And they weren't going to win the series. And we kind of talked about kind of the present and future of the Nets and, and Kevin Durant, and this thing isn't getting any better. You know, I kind of feel like it's the same with Philly. Now, Now Joel Embiid obviously played at an MVP level this year, but, you know, the reason you're paying James Harden the money that you're paying him, and oh, by the way, he's due for an extension like Kyrie that could make him, you know, $50 million or so in the future is he's got to be the number two, right? And and it's not to say that there aren't other good players on the on that team. And Tyrese Maxey's emerged, and Tobias Harris has been good. But I don't know, man. I ju- I just watch James Harden, and I sit there and say he is not the same dude. And like like you said, when he can't beat people off the dribble. It, it eliminates a step back, and like I said, when you're not getting to the foul line 12, 13, 14, 18 times a game, uh, it, it limits a lot of your value as well. So, I mean, is, is this one where, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I guess if Joel Embiid can stay healthy, which is a, a question unto itself, uh, you know, he can be the number one, but I just think the guy that you traded for in James Harden, uh, you know, he's not the guy that, like, you know, I, I don't know, like, like, He's just not the guy that you're going to need that for four different rounds. I'd be worried if I was a Philadelphia 76ers fan because I think the Harden that you thought you were getting is not the guy that you've seen so far. Yeah, I don't know why you would have thought that was the guy you were getting, but your point is no long, is no less accurate. Um, he's not. He, he hasn't been for a while. He is... He's just a guy now. He, he's just another dude. I think that's another thing that maybe Harmon may have said 
uh, a couple of days ago. He called him a jag, which I've used many times in the past to describe people. I've never used it to describe James Harden um, directly, but you pretty much can now. He's just kind of another dude on the roster, but he's a very highly paid big-time star name that doesn't necessarily make you better. And one night, I know we credited him, and I did, and I was just like, well, look, he wasn't shooting the ball well, but look at him getting assists here and playing pretty well in other ways. He's helping the team. That's a positive. Problem is, I still need him to get me 35 sometimes. I still need him to be able to get me 40 every once in a while. And I don't think that guy's there anymore. I don't know that he can I don't know he can do that once in a seven-game series. And... If I don't think he's in shape, then how in the world is he going to be in shape playing this level of basketball for this team in the playoffs where everything is turned up, everything is ratcheted up, the benches are supposed to shorten? He's not made for this right now. That becomes a bigger thing, and and I think you're right. And here's the other problem for Philadelphia, who I don't have going very much further than where they are right now because I think Miami will win the series. Embiid's great, but he's got the same problem Doncic does. Like He can't do it himself. There's almost nobody in the league that can do it themselves because so many other teams have multiple guys that can hurt you. Someday we need to sit down and rank the number twos in the NBA Hmm. and try to figure out how we feel about the second bananas on all of these teams. And then we can probably, I bet you we can take a line and actually draw it from most successful to least successful, and I bet you it will correlate with where the playoffs are. Yeah, there are superstars, but who are the running buddies? Who were the seconds? Jokic was great, but because Jamal Murray got hurt the last couple of years, it still hasn't mattered for them. Doesn't matter how great he is. Doesn't matter how many MVPs he's winning. Giannis, what's so impressive about him is Middleton hadn't played since you know game two or whatever it was of the Chicago series, and they're still dominating. And, and we'll see whether or not they actually can get through the series, but I'm fascinated to see that. I don't think Embiid's got a second. I think he's got a third, and he might have emerging seconds that we weren't expecting from like a Tyrese Maxey or somebody like that. But here's the other problem for Philadelphia quickly. When things are not going well, one of the last dudes that you want around is Embiid. Embiid is great when things are going well. But he starts saying stuff, and he'll throw people under the bus, and he has arguably done that to Harden in these playoffs at least once, and that's what he should do as the best player, at least in his own mind. But he's not the best teammate, and he does not lead well from behind. He is very much a front-running type guy. If the things get difficult and the pressure ratchets up, he's not really a galvanizing force and to me that's a big problem for Philadelphia in a series that if they could win it this thing is still probably going 7 very interesting thoughts there very interesting thoughts Fox Sports Radio Aaron Torres Jason Martin here I mean this is a lot of how they got themselves into this situation uh in the first place right is the idea that uh you know I I fundamentally had no problem with what Embiid and and Doc Rivers said after Game Seven against Atlanta last year, but clearly Ben Simmons did. Uh, you know, obviously Ben Simmons has not played a game anywhere since, but certainly that was what led to the uh, exit from Philadelphia. So interesting thought from you. I hadn't really considered you know Embiid as a teammate before because I I think of him kind of as a great teammate, right? I mean, you know, everybody kind of had his back in that Ben Simmons fiasco. And, you know, when when things got tough this year without Ben Simmons, I mean, he was the guy that kind of held them together. I mean, that's a lot of what his MVP candidacy is, is not not only the actual statistics, 
but also, of course, the uh, you know kind of the way that he held the organization together. But this is what I want to do. I want to uh, you know I want to uh, pause here because this Canelo fight is coming down yeah. to the wire. Uh, Jason Martin, Aaron Torres will bring in DeSager, uh, and I think it's about to go final. We'll discuss that next. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. As we do every time at this time of the week, uh, we bring in Steve DeSager. We don't always have late breaking news as we bring you in at 1245 Eastern time, DeSager, but we do tonight. <laughs> Canelo Alvarez has lost his first defeat since 2013 when he lost to Floyd Mayweather at light middleweight. The scores were close, but some online reporters I'm talking about say this certainly did not capture what had happened, but it was a unanimous decision for Bivol over Alvarez 115-113. Who, you say? Who Who is this? Dimitri Bivol, unanimous decision, gets the win. And in fact, this was Canelo Alvarez who entered from Mexico with a record of 57-1 with two draws. He lives in Southern California. So does Bivol, who was born in Kyrgyzstan. They're both 31 and this is a light heavyweight champion now 20 and 0 and Canelo went up in weight for this and still was confident he's been at light heavyweight before certainly so he's back up to the heaviest weight of his career he had fought at light heavyweight once before in his career with a win about two and a half years ago and here heavily favored tonight at 175 pounds to take the WBA title Canelo Alvarez is beaten that is a shocker and it was apparently once again decisive not just just unanimous, but even closer than the 115-113 that each of the three judges had. As one L.A. Times writer said, boy, they really wanted to give it to Canelo, and he just wasn't there to take it. I mean, it just, it's a shocker. As- I was reading the ESPN, I was reading the ESPN, like, round by round, and the thing wasn't even remotely close. Like, 115-113's yes. not even close to indicative of what I was seeing everywhere in terms of how people were scoring that fight. And somehow, like, I, I, I wanted to know whether or not Rich Strike actually beat Canelo <laughs> the Alvarez. The Derby winner, yes. <laughs> because you had two giant upsets uh, on Saturday between the boxing and then I actually thought the Kentucky Derby was a hell of a lot of fun. I ended up watching that it live was, and when man. I saw the overhead shot, I still yes. have no idea how Rich Strike was able to come back. Yes, because he was, what, past 10th place? And then coming to the final stretch, and then zoom. On the rail, there was a big, went between horses, and then a lot of room on the rail. And Epicenter finished second today at the Derby. Zandon third after opening as the 3-1 to favorite earlier this week. Rich Strike was at 80-1 to odds and wins the first jewel in the Triple Crown. The Preakness will be in two weeks. Rich Strike is a horse that was just claimed last September for $30,000 after easily winning a maiden race at Churchill. And now, same track, $1.8 million goes to that team. An hour before the Derby started, Rich Strike was actually listed at 87 to 1 odds. Wow. Churchill Downs was at full capacity for this for the first time in three years, so well over 100,000 fans. This was the 148th running of the Derby in Louisville and the second largest win payout in Derby history. The winner paid on a $2 ticket to win $163.60. Even on a $2 ticket to place $74.20 and to show $29.40. Largest upset in the Derby for over 100 years. This horse had won one race in seven starts, charged a first late on the rail, and my goodness, what a... 
the historic day at Churchill Downs. And this is a winner that just entered the field on Friday after another horse was scratched. You may have noticed it's a 20-horse field. Look at the number the winning horse had, 21. He wasn't one of the original 20 horses Jeez. and wins by three-quarters of a length. Zandon was a uh, length and a half behind. The last place horse, by the way, finished nearly 65 lengths back. No payout for that one. Golden State beat Memphis 142-112 to 112 in the NBA tonight, so it's a two-games-to-one series lead. You referenced earlier the good ratings last Sunday as this second round opened for the NBA. First, we had Bucks celtics and that was over $5 million. And then you had the Warriors-Grizzlies, and that was $7.7 million on ABC, which is one of the largest playoff audiences outside of the finals the last three years. And then you had a Tuesday Warriors-Grizzlies game on cable, and that was 5.3 million viewers on TNT. The lead-up got uh, over 4 million as well. And then you had Turner with a doubleheader on Wednesday night with NBA, and that averaged 3.8 million. And then you got to Thursday and no basketball at all. So you had... I repeat, a little context here. Wednesday night, 3.8 million for basketball. NHL didn't even get 0.8 million oh. on Thursday night, and they had the cable night to themselves. Turner was carrying two games TBS, two games TNT. Now, one of them, I think it was the Rangers game, got a million, but if you add up the four or average the four, it was just under 700,000 viewers for playoff hockey on Oof. Thursday night. Oof is correct. As for Major League Baseball, the Mets at Phillies game was rained out. They'll play a doubleheader tomorrow. Last night's rain out in Philly will be made up in August. Texas at the Yankees rained out again. That'll be made up on Monday. Because on Sunday, there's already a doubleheader in New York because of last night's rainout. Royals at Baltimore rained out again. That'll be made up on Monday. And on Sunday, there's already a doubleheader in Baltimore after last night's rainout. Dodgers had a rainout at Wrigley yesterday, so they played a morning game and an evening game there. Love those split doubleheaders because then you can get two gate receipts separately for the home team. Cubs got swept. Dodgers beat them 7 nothing, and then 6-2 to two in the nightcap. The Dodger offense had three hits and nine walks. Mookie Betts with five RBIs, three-run double, two-run homer. And we must say at this late hour for most of us in the mainland, congratulations to the folks in Hawaii because tonight the University of Hawaii won the NCAA Men's Volleyball National Championship at Pauley Pavilion. They have swept Long Beach State. I know we have listeners in Hawaii. Congratulations. And as far as the Giants, San Francisco had the FS1 ball game beat uh, St. Louis 13-7. Wilmer Flores, on one hit, had six RBIs in the game. A grand slam in the first, sack fly, and a bases loaded walk later. By the way, to Sager, I believe Brian Finley was on the call there at Pauley Pavilion today. Or oh, le- with the volleyball. At oh, le- yeah. Or at least he was the other day. We'll talk to Fenley coming up. Uh, not this hour, but coming up later on. He should be in tonight. Uh, but we have plenty more to come coming up. Chris Plank will join us. We'll talk a little about Lincoln Riley, plus plenty more from the NBA. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. 1 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 p.m. Pacific, as I said earlier, uh, to everybody on the East Coast and Central Time Zones. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are listening. I hope everybody enjoys the holiday. Uh, And uh, one hour left in our show. Chris Plank will be following us. He's in for Bernie Fratter tonight. Chris Plank will join us in about 20 minutes to preview his show uh, before he gets on air here at the top of the hour. Jason, just very, very, very quickly, since we have talked about it plenty this evening, but uh, Golden State uh, played Memphis in Game 3 of their playoff series. It's worth noting there were two Game 3s today. Milwaukee beats Boston 103-101, which was an interesting finish in its own right, but the interesting, probably big story from the NBA, or the, the more interesting story, I really should say, came in that Golden State Game 3, which is ironic because it was an absolute blowout. Golden State wins by 30, final score 142-112. to 112. But after the game, we kind of get some back and forth through the media as late in the game, uh, John Morant going for a loose ball. Uh, Jordan Poole from the Golden State Warriors kind of grabs, I don't think it was intentional, but grabs at his knee. There's a big back and forth uh, you know, between the Golden State and Memphis players after the game. Now, during the game, John Morant did limp off the court. After the game, John Morant put out a tweet that said, broke the code, which was referenced to Steve Kerr's comment after game two uh John Morant uh, or excuse me um Jordan Poole said that it was nothing malicious that's not the type of player that he is just really quick reaction as we know it right now John Morant did walk out of the arena limping but uh there's no reason to think it, it based on anything that I've seen or heard that he will not be available for game four but this is just another chippy incident in what has been a very chippy series so far Jason 
Yeah, it has. And the Sager said in the last hour, <clears throat> when you see that Poole does push him with one hand and then grab his knee with the other, it looks a lot worse on replay when you're watching it in slow motion. If you watch it actually as it's happening, I still just don't see malicious intent behind it. And now I could just be naive. I could be missing it. It just didn't look dirty to me. It looked unfortunate to me, but it was a bang-bang situation. There's a basketball that's loose. He's going for it. He can't quite get there. He grabs the knee. It didn't seem like he was trying to take it out. Not to me. His response when he was shown, because he, he was shown the video afterwards in the press conference, and he said, oh, I, you know, and then he goes through what happened, and he just said, look, I'm not that kind of player. And Clay Thompson backed him up, and Steph backed him up, and Steve Kerr backed him up, and everybody did. And then Ja had tweeted out, broke the code, and then he deleted the tweet. And I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if that was uh, something from on high saying, hey, take this down, we don't need this, or if there's something more here. It's just an interesting development in a series that has been filled with them on a night where otherwise it was about Golden State demolishing Memphis by 30 that there's still a talking point coming out of it, which is just going to be great for the NBA because we're all going to be watching on Monday night. It is worth noting some other uh, things in uh, in sports as well. Uh, Canelo Alvarez has just lost his fight. Uh, major upset in boxing. This off the heels of an 80-1 to one shot Rich Strike winning the Kentucky Derby. Just got a tweet from Mr. Chicken. I'm guessing that's not his real name. But he said, my brother lost 2500 betting on Canelo at 5 500 betting on Thug Rose, which I assume is some sort of horse. By the way, real, real quick, I, I want to talk about Lincoln Riley in a second. Did you see the story, the report uh, from a book that Phil Mickelson lost $40 million yes. gambling in four years? What is that, Jason? Well, when you find out he made forty, he made 48 in one calendar year, and it kept growing from there. I don't know how you lose that much. I mean, you've got a problem if you're losing $40 million. I mean, he's a degenerate, man. Like that's that's about as 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 obvious as it gets. It was pretty stunning. Forty plus million dollars from two thousand ten to two thousand fourteen. Then you look at the earnings. People don't understand how much golfers make, especially golfers like Phil Mickelson. What these tournaments are worth, what these purses are worth. I mean, this Saudi thing, he's mm. getting bank. Just for playing in the eight events, he is making serious money. I don't have it directly in front of me. I looked at it yesterday. It's ridiculous what he's getting paid to do those eight events for the Saudi league and all this, like he's, he's going to be all right. If there's somebody that can afford to lose 40, this is like Elon Musk buying Twitter. He found that in his cushions. He found that like in his mattress, he's the richest guy in the world. He just bought Twitter on a lark. He's like, yeah, I'm going to fix this whole free speech thing. It's not really going to dent my bank account very much. 43. Sure. Whatever you need. It's fine. It's never made a profit before. It's all good. Phil Mickelson spending $40 million seems insane, but he has made a ton of money. Yeah, I can't find the exact numbers on the Saudi uh, Golf League as well. Did not know that Greg Norman was kind of the, the uh, you know, money or, you know, kind of the brains behind it or whatever. But yeah, that struck me. Uh, you know, this is one where I'd love to have a totally unique, interesting take on Phil Mickelson. Uh, but it was just, uh, yeah, uh, uh, the money that I could never imagine having or losing. So uh, Phil Mickelson, uh, it seems like he's doing just fine financially. So, uh, speaking of doing just fine financially, USC football 
let's just switch gears. I'm, uh, t- I'm, I'm, you know, bringing the terrible transitions tonight. But you know, we have Chris Plank coming up here in about 15 minutes. He'll join us, and then of course he's hosting for Bernie Fredo at the top of the hour. And I think Plank will be a fun guest to talk to because the guy that he spent years covering for people who don't know, Chris Plank is the radio sideline voice of Oklahoma football. Spent a lot of time around Lincoln Riley. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say as you know as much as anybody that we know in the media. Um, and Lincoln Riley has been in the news over the last I don't know ten days or so. And it's funny, Jason, because you know it was a topic again. You know because of the time slot that we're in, this Jordan Addison news kind of broke late Friday. I don't know how much the the guys and girls that were in before us on Saturday talked about it, but I know we talked about it a little bit. And then it became a real big story that I heard on a lot of our different shows throughout Fox Sports Radio throughout the week. I know that Colin talked about it, Doug Gottlieb talked about it, etc. Uh, but Jordan Addison, the wide receiver at Pittsburgh, uh, was the Bolitnikov winner as the top wide receiver in college football, uh, enters the transfer portal. It is official, it was unofficial at the time. And where a lot of people had some frustration was that he was linked to USC before he had ever entered the portal. And so it kind of became this talking point. This isn't the first time that Lincoln Riley has been, um, you know, accused of tampering. For people who don't know, you can't talk to a player until he enters the transfer portal. And it seems suspicious that he's already linked to USC by two. By the way, it's not internet rumor. It was Pete Thamel from ESPN and Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports both said that USC would be a front runner if he entered the portal. Um, but, you know, this has happened a few times with Lincoln Riley. This time last year, there was a wide receiver from Arkansas named Mike Woods that entered the portal under suspicious circumstances uh, and then ended up at Oklahoma. Obviously, Caleb Williams, many of his teammates stayed at Oklahoma for about a month playing the bowl game. Then all of a sudden, they decide to hit the portal. So we now have a track record of, of two, three times now that you know, you can kind of accuse Lincoln Riley from the, from a distance of it looking as though he's kind of tampering with other teams' rosters and things like that. I'll tell you, you know, we were already excited about him because, you know, just him being at USC makes them interesting. But he's quickly turning into a villain in college football, man, because there's a lot of people that are not happy with what he is accused of doing and what his staff is accused of doing, even if there's nothing official. Yeah, I think, I mean, it all comes down to, I mean, he picked L.A., he picked L.A., so that makes him a villain. Uh, no offense to those that live in L.A., but LeBron picked L.A., and all of a sudden it was real easy to root against him again. If you were rooting for him in Cleveland, it was real easy to stop rooting for him the second he went to L.A. Same thing is happening here. Riley leaves Oklahoma, you know, where he had built it up and everything else, and had gone to college football playoffs, not had success, but had gone to them. And now he goes to L.A. and he takes Caleb Williams with him. And there's a little bit of history there. And he's a little bit of a bristly guy in terms of how some people seem to talk about him at the very least. And now here's the Jordan Addison saga. Everything is there. I think the problem here is it's hard for me to do anything but shrug my shoulders when everybody is doing something. Everybody's doing something. They got the fund at Texas A&M. They've got all these collectives. There's no rules. Mark Emmert stepping down. You got Gene Smith at Ohio State, the athletic director there, saying that football needs to be governed by the college football playoff and the NCAA can just do everything else, but basically leave college football alone. You've got coaches suggesting timing for transfer portals coaches asking can we give two windows for transfer portal as opposed to all year long all of these things there's so little structure there are so many things that are out there that are not accounted for 
that I find it hard to to get particularly upset at any individual thing that a coach might be accused of doing because I just kind of assume all right, well, all right, Lincoln Rowley's doing it. It's not like he's the only one. Same thing as this guy was paying this player to play at X university. Well, Y university and Z university are doing it with other players. We just don't know it yet. I guess I've always been very cynical about the pristine nature as if it's holy or something of college sports. It's just replete with cheating. It's just dirty. It always has been. Now there's just a lot more out there to be exposed, but in the case of this, I just kind of shrug my shoulders. I mean, if he gets nailed for it, if there's some kind of penalty that comes for it later, whatever, maybe it maybe it makes it easier to root against Lincoln Riley for some reason, but outside of that, I just find it hard to care. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll bring in Chris Plank and we'll ask him about all this stuff. Plank is great, not only on the Oklahoma stuff, but I think he's going to have some thoughts on all the stuff that you mentioned, Jason. The 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 thoughts about uh, you know for people who didn't see two conference commissioners, Greg Sankey, George Kliakov from the SEC and the Pac-12 meeting with with you know people in Washington D.C. to get federal oversight of NIL. Uh, there's it was a busy week, and now we learn that schools might be retroactively punished for uh, you know uh, NIL rules violations. So it's a crazy time in college sports. Uh, I think we'll, we'll talk about it with Chris Plank coming up. Obviously, we can discuss it ourselves after Chris Plank, but Chris Plank will join us next. He is, of course, the host uh, or the sideline reporter that covers Oklahoma football, has covered Lincoln Riley, also host here on Fox Sports Radio every Sunday, filling in for Bernie Fratto later tonight. So Chris Plank coming up. He'll join Aaron Torres, uh, Jason Martin here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. Coming up at the top of the hour, Bernie Fratto is out. That's why you don't hear his walk-up music, but no hard knock life in Norman, Oklahoma. Chris Plank will be hosting top of the hour, and he's joining us now. What's up, Chris Plank? What's up, Aaron Torres? What's up, Jason Martin? How are you guys? Well, I'm well. Jason's good, well. Good. First of all, any any uh, big plans for Mother's Day? I mean, you're working now. You're working tomorrow night. I'll be joining sure. you tomorrow night. What are you doing in between? Uh, my mom is actually in town. Nice. So we haven't been able to spend Mother's Day together in probably more than 30 years. So we're wow. going to do that tomorrow. Then I'm going to get her out of here. Then I'll do Mother's <laughs> Day for my wife. And hopefully I won't be in too much trouble. But yeah, fun Mother's Day. Everyone, I, I hope, has a great day. Really quick, where's mom coming from? Uh, St. Louis, so oh. it's not a short trip. It's about ten hours. Oh, so we got to get him the St. Lunatics next time, Don. That's his right. Walk up music. All right. So anyway, That's right. football. So a guy that you covered. So if people don't know, Plank is Oklahoma sideline reporter. You know, knows that program soup and nuts here. Um, Lincoln Riley. So you know. What do you make from a distance of everything that's gone on with Lincoln Riley? Take out, you know, the Oklahoma stuff. We understand why the fan base is a little bit frustrated with the way that he left. I mean, I certainly get it as an outsider. But, you know, the Jordan Addison stuff was interesting. Um, He has not been directly tied to anything. His staff has not been directly tied to anything. But when Bruce Feldman and Pete Thamel both report that Jordan Addison isn't even in the portal and is already thinking about going to USC, it obviously ruffled a lot of feathers. Uh, By the way, a year ago, or so there was a player named Mike Woods from Arkansas who entered the portal uh, and I think Arkansas fans felt that Lincoln Riley and his staff may have had something to do with that he ended up at Oklahoma long story short what do you make from a distance of these I don't want to call them accusations but they're pseudo accusations against Lincoln Riley and his new staff well coaches are taking advantage of rules that just aren't enforced anymore I mean that's it um and even if you get hit for tampering 
I mean, that tamp- okay, tampering. You go in the you go and talk to a guy before he's in the portal. Do you know what the penalty is? It, it's a slap on the wrist. I mean, so you're looking at people getting upset when it's simple. You go in there and you say, okay, let's let's upgrade. Let's let's make the tampering penalty harder, stronger, more powerful. But they refuse to do it. And why do they refuse to do it? Because every coach tampers. They don't want to push for it. They don't want to fight for it. Yeah, every Oklahoma fan got fired up and every Pitt fan got fired up when Pat Narduzzi allegedly called Lincoln and and they had an out or, or whatever that became. But they, are you kidding me? They're, all this NIL stuff right now is great. Get all the money you can. But to, to pretend like the NCAA with its enforcement committee or enforcement group or whatever is in a position where they can do anything, they haven't even penalized Kansas yet. And it took them four years to finally figure out what they wanted to do with Oklahoma State, and they botched that. It took them, what, two years with the Scott Frost, and it was the most minor of, of things you could have done. So I, I find all this fascinating, but I'll tell you what, it's not going to change because the two Toothpaste is out of the tube. Um, tampering isn't really that big of a deal as far as penalties are concerned. And until you upgrade that, I don't think anything's going to change. Yep, that's where I am. Chris, yeah, I, I heard you just shrug my shoulders. I agreed with you 100%. I agreed with you 100% when you brought that up. It, you're taking advantage of rules that aren't enforced. Yeah, and, and it's a feckless organization that's the enforcement arm anyway. So it's just none of none of it rings a bell. And then it's like... I mean, how many how many programs have really been dogged out? Because if you win, you win. It's not like we look at UNLV and all of what happened in 1990 and 1991 and see anything other than that was a great team. You could try to take banners down all you want, but it's great when it's happening for you. It's not as good if it's happening to you, and I think that's what it is. It's just like you see somebody else getting over, and now it's a problem where if the dude was working for you, you'd probably find it. a way to shrug that and, and, and say, yeah, you know what, that's just the cost of doing business. Listen, uh, did something fishy go on here? Sure. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Um, it, but, but if Jordan Addison came out and said, my wide receiver coach left, my offensive coordinator left, my quarterback was a first-round pick, I'm at Pitt, and, and even though we won the ACC last year, don't feel confident about things, I want to go somewhere else, I don't think anyone would have a problem. The, the problem where people freak out is because everyone is so ready to pounce with NIL. You know, I'm going to talk about it tonight. Um, we're so ready, and, and, and Lincoln too, for Oklahoma fans. We're so ready to pounce that some dude made up a report this week about Texas going after a, a, a defensive end and had a $3 million uh, deal for him, and everyone lost their mind. Everyone was like, "This is unbelievable! We can't let this happen." It was, uh, and and the name was Osef Josai. He had made up a name and just made up a story. And you got people in Dallas Sports Radio, and you got uh, guys over on on college channels that are losing their mind, Jason, over a made up report, a completely <laughs> fake report. So uh, I, I just. We, we want to sound outraged, and we want to be outraged, but we're not really willing to dig and dive into it. How dare Lincoln Riley dip into Pittsburgh's roster before guys in the porter, portal? 
Why not? It's it, it's a hand slap if you get caught, and nobody's going to enforce it. So I, I think we have a lot of outrage right now. I mean, Aaron, you deal a lot in the college basketball world. It, it, it tends to be like roster changing every minute in the college basketball world. I can't even keep track. Um, football's getting close to that. Yep. And that's just the reality of where we are with college football, and I don't think it's going to get changed. Well, well, we'll get back to the change in a minute. I want to ask you a dumb, another dumb Lincoln-Riley question that I think I know the answer to, but I, I, I am curious for your perspective, right? So, like, there, you know, I, Jason and I being on in this time slot every Saturday, like, I think, I, I don't want to speak for Jason, but I think we're both excited about just having, like, relevant Pac-12 football on our airwaves and, and you know, being able to react in real time because we were on this year and it was just tough. But I bring it up because, like, I think 90, you know, a a significant percentage of college football fans are like super excited. Lincoln Riley, offense, quarterbacks, West Coast, USC, what can it be? And then there is that percentage of college football fans that are like, well, he inherited it from Bob Stoops and probably his best season was his first season. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I'm gonna tee it up for you. It, where where do you draw like where do you draw the line? Is that criticism fair? What was your observation? Because like I said, I think most people are excited. I think there is a percentage though that's like yeah. he, a lot. You know, some of that Jim Harbaugh, what he said about Ryan Day, born on third base, thinks he hit a triple. But he still wins games and, and plays in championships. So, And that's what Lincoln Riley did. You can say a guy is born on third base and that's your knock. I, I say it a lot about Oklahoma City Thunder basketball fans, right? You, <laughs> you, your first year, you have Kevin Durant. Um, you, you then get Russell Westbrook, and then you add James Harden, and you're in the NBA Finals. That doesn't happen for expansion teams. It's just not reality. Lincoln Riley um, got a nice ride. He really did. He came in in 2017, his first year. He had Baker Mayfield. He had Mark Andrews. He had CeeDee Lamb. You know, he had three NFL. He had an, an NFL offensive line. He had Orlando Brown at left tackle. He had Bobby Evans at right tackle. Two guys that, I mean, I, Zeus went to the Super Bowl and played against, uh, or Zeus didn't go to the Super Bowl, I'm sorry, Atlanta Brown, but he went to the AFC Championship game. You know, Bobby Evans won a Super Bowl. So he had a really good team, but you, you still had to coach it. And, and I think sometimes fans are so upset that our Oklahoma fans, and they would agree with me because I've battled this. You know, they got names for them. It's Tebow and it's the Mule Shoe Snake and all these things, but he, he still had to coach the team. And they did a really good job recruiting. The problem is they couldn't get over that championship hump, right? They would get to the 14 playoff. They would uh, lose usually pretty one-sidedly outside of the 2017 game. So all of that precursor to say we should be out of our minds excited for for what could be, hey, people that love college football that are up late on a Saturday night because it's going to be fun. But I'm not ready to put them in the playoffs this year. I mean, they're going to be good over the next couple of years. They're going to get the best skilled players in college football at USC. they got to get some linemen. They better get some defensive linemen because they're soft right now when it comes to, to that area on their team. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I mean, listen, Oklahoma fans are, are mad. They're angry. Uh, uh, what, what's the uh, pitchforks and, and torches? They're still upset about it, even though Brent Venables has changed the culture and, and brought a new mindset. But I, I, I'm, I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be fun. And we'll see when adversity strikes. Um, that's kind of where you really learn what a dude is all about. What happens if they lose a couple of games? What happens whenever they don't get a guy in, in, in the transfer portal or 
a big uh, skill player recruit. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out because he had a lot of things already in place at Oklahoma when he took over, and he changed a lot of things. Um, I don't really know how much infrastructure he has right now at USC. It seems like they're having to do a lot, a lot of new, a lot of new personnel. So I'm intrigued to see how that plays out. But I, I think fans should be pumped about it. I think he's going to do good things at USC. One of the things we've lamented, Chris, is looking at college basketball. That's Aaron's Aaron's bread and butter and saying, you know, now that Coach K is leaving, mm-hmm. be careful what you wish for because who's the villain going to be? And we were at the time, we were like, well, Jay Wright's way too likable. Villanova's an unbelievable <laughs> program. He's too likable. Now he's retired. Now he's decided to get out of college sports because he doesn't want to mess with everything that's going on. College football doesn't have that problem. Saban's no. still there. Brian Kelly went to LSU with a fake accent, and Lincoln Riley is in – L.A. Like, how much better does it get than that? A guy from Muleshoe, Texas, is now the the star of the West Coast. It's just, it's awesome to see. And you're right. You know, you and I are wrestling fans, Jason. Yes. We need bad guys. And Amen. usually sometimes the bad guys, the heels, they can end up being more popular than anyone else. And I think that's what you've got in college football this year. You've got some great heels. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make any of them bad people. It just means that... They're very much despised, and it's good to have something to root against. Brian Kelly, I'm sure he's not a bad guy, but boy, he looked corny trying to do that accent and and then doubling down on it. Lincoln Riley, I can tell you, is a great dude, but how he left Oklahoma and, and how he's treated the portal has left people with a sour taste in their mouth. You add Saban wins. People will start turning on Kirby Smart because he wins. So, yeah, I, I love it. College, was, um, college football's got a great list of bad guys, and I can't wait to see who jumps up as the bad guy in college basketball now either. Don't forget about Dabo Sweeney, by the way. Just just says whatever he wants all the time, doesn't care at all. Uh, Plank, we'll let you go. What do you got for us at the top of the hour again? Chris Plank filling in for Bernie Fratto. What do you got for us, Plank? I just did our first segment. So um, <laughs> Don threw it to tape. We're ready to go. And listen, I am all over the Baker Mayfield story, why Antonio Brown is talking, and yes, tons from the NBA playoffs tonight. It's been a fun day. I don't want, I don't want to ruin your whole show. Was Jordan Poole intentional or not? Um, I'm going to ride the fence and say, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to debate it tonight. Ooh. I have no idea. Well, I have no idea. It looked it looked fine to me, but everything about this series has been just weird. So um, we'll play the game tonight and see what the people think. All right. Top of the hour. Chris Plank filling in for Bernie Fratton. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Jason. Yes, sir. All right, that was Chris Plank. You can hear him at the top of the hour filling in for Bernie Fratto. A lot to discuss from the world of college football, NFL, and, of course, the NBA playoffs. Speaking of these NBA playoffs, speaking of what was truly a crazy day across sports, uh, final time this evening, let's bring in Steve DeSager. What's up, DeSager? And the crazy continued all the way up till midnight. A stunning upset in boxing in Las Vegas tonight on this Cinco de Mayo weekend. Canelo Alvarez was beaten by unanimous decision by Dimitri Bivol, who's now 20-0, the WBA light heavyweight champion. Scores were 115-113 on all three judges' cards. For Alvarez, this is his first loss in nine years. He moved up to light heavyweight for this, back up to that uh, for the heaviest weight of his career. But the guy had been 57-1 with two draws in his career. He fails to take the WBA 175-pound title. Uh, His opponent simply had the advantage in reach and height and the power punches. And there is a rematch clause in the contract. Alvarez said afterwards in the ring he wanted a rematch. Bivol responded, no problem. So there. (laughs) Each fighter, 31 years old, each fighter 
trains in Southern California, but the differences uh, are many after that. Because, as mentioned earlier in the show, Canelo Alvarez had had 20 world championship fights going into tonight. This was only the 20th pro fight for Dimitri Bivol, who was born in Kyrgyzstan. Meanwhile, in Phoenix, at about the same time, UFC 274 finale went to Charles Oliveira beating Justin Gaethje by submission at 322 of the first round. This is the former lightweight uh, champion, Oliveira, we're talking about, stripped of his belt after missing weight yesterday by half pound. So he became the number one contender in the division. He will compete for the vacant title in his next fight. The co-made event in Phoenix it was a loss for Rose Namajunas, Thug Rose, as you referenced earlier in the hour. Um, let's just be kind and say it was a fight that was not well received by ringside journalists or fans, for that matter. Even the UFC's own um, website said it was far from a barn burn. And then we had the NBA playoff game at Golden State where the Warriors shot 63% from the floor and beat Memphis 142-112. to 112. Steph Curry 30 points. Jordan Poole 27 points off the bench. But there's the John Morant situation. 34 points scored, but he limped off in the fourth quarter with the knee injury. Dylan Brooks serving a one-game suspension did not play for Memphis after last game's flagrant two foul. The Warriors in the first half shot 70% from the floor, but did have 14 turnovers. Great start to the second half. They go on to the dominant victory. And a great item from the folks at StatMuse. Since the three-point shot came into the NBA about 40 years ago, it had only happened once in the playoffs that he had a game like Golden State shot tonight, where you're over 50% shooting as as a team from three and over 60% overall shooting from the floor and over 90% from the foul line. The Golden State Warriors were actually... 53% 53% on three, 63% overall, just over 90% on free throws, 19 of 21. The only other team apparently that had done that, Allen Iverson Sixers in a playoff game in 2001. Hmm. So two games to one lead for Golden State. Milwaukee up two games to one after beating Boston 103-101. Jason Tatum of the Celtics had 10 points in defeat, 4 of 19 shooting from the floor. Jalen Brown scored 27, Al Horford 22 with 16 rebounds, but there were four shots at the end after a missed free throw, and the Celtics, well, the late tip in, the fourth, came just after the buzzer. Marcus Smart returned from the Bruce quad and was one of eight shooting from the floor, and yes, missed a key free throw late. Celtics' record since late January had been 30-6 and six until their Game 1 loss. And now they're down two games to one in this series. Milwaukee, aside from Giannis, only 35% shooting today, but they got the victory. Giannis and Tenacumpo, 42 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. And Chris Middleton is still out with the sprained MCL. Boston was down 12 with about nine minutes left. They came back, but not quite good enough. Two more NBA games tomorrow, including Phoenix up two games to one at Dallas, then Miami up two games to one at Philly. Dallas in the NHL won the late game, 4-2 over Calgary. Pittsburgh 7-4 over the Rangers. Easy wins for Colorado and Washington. The Kentucky Derby was won by an 80-1 long shot rich strike. There was a USFL game on Fox TV at Birmingham. The home team 16-10 over Tampa Bay. Birmingham 4-0. The Jets signed first-round defensive back Sauce Gardner. The NFL's full schedule will be released Thursday night on FS1. Keegan Bradley is the golf leader in Maryland by two strokes. Roy McIlroy now six-back tied for sixth place. Jason Day led by three to start the day. 
and then shot a third round 79. This is a former number one golfer in the world, still trying for his first win in four years. Novak Djokovic lost his close tennis semifinal at the Madrid Open to Spain's own Carlos Alcaraz, age 19, the kid who just beat Rafael Nadal yesterday. So he's now the first man since Roger Federer over a decade ago to beat those two back-to-back. French Open starts in just over two weeks. NASCAR's on FS1 again tomorrow from Darlington, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Joey Logano are in the poll, his first in nearly three years. Today's Xfinity race went to Justin Allgaier. And in Major League Baseball, Dodgers swept a doubleheader from the Cubs. Giants ended a five-game losing streak beating St. Louis. Atlanta edged Milwaukee 3-2. Colorado with four in the ninth, won 4-1 at Arizona. Wins for Tampa Bay, Miami, and Washington. Yet again, rainouts at Philadelphia at Baltimore and at Yankee Stadium. Back to you. Thank you, Steve DeSager. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Uh, talking a little college football. Chris Plank just joined us. He'll be back at the top of the hour. So, Jason, this just kind of came across my Twitter feed. Uh, Mike Leach weighing in on a, a Kentucky Derby take that's kind of a a, a college football take as well. Mike Leach, head coach at Mississippi State, this is what he says. That horse winning the Kentucky Derby today is a good example of why an expanded college football playoff is needed. That horse hadn't won all the races leading up, but it's got its chance, and that's what happened. What do you think about Mike Leach just throwing his uh, college football playoff expansion take up, uh, th- you know, riding the coattails of uh, of a 80-1 to one shot at the Kentucky Derby? <laughs> Mike Leach out of nowhere, out of left field on Twitter there. Well, he he's the one that wants 64 teams, right? Something and like he that, said yes. that before. Um, Leach is an interesting guy. I've yeah. talked to him once uh, in the past, and obviously he's always got a good quote. He's had some good things about marriage and things like that in the past. A pretty funny guy. Um, the, uh, it's real easy for somebody to talk about expansion to 64 when they're a team that's never getting in at the current number. Right? Like That's the, that's the comeback to Leach is, well, of course you want to expand it. You're at Mississippi State. Like, good luck. Or you're at Texas Tech. Or you're at uh, Oregon State, or wherever it was that he was for a long time up north. Um, He's right. I mean, I I do think that expanding it would help. I don't know that an 80-to-1 rich strike horse can be compared to a team in the college football playoff the way college football tends to go. I would love to think he's right. I would love to see a rich strike here and there in college football that could do it. And I, you do get more of an opportunity for this. But I think the problem is college football is still viewed to be such a hierarchy in terms of tiers of teams and how many teams have shots and all this other stuff. It's interesting. It's thought-provoking. Leach knew what he was doing when he poked that bear. And I appreciate him doing it on May the 8th because we don't have any other college football really to talk about that is this present. We can talk about the NIL stuff, and we can talk about the transfer portal stuff, but I think we just end up going out or going around in circles and eventually saying, hey, man, I don't know what's going on. We can't control it, so whatever happens, happens. This is at least something tangible. It's interesting that he used the horse race to get there and say because there was a long shot, that means that you should include a bunch of long shots in a college football playoff. I don't know that that holds water, but at least as a thought experiment, it's interesting. Well, there's one significant difference between the Kentucky Derby and a college football playoff. Yeah, there's one's humans and one is um, horses. That's a significant difference, but the other one that I was going to say was is that the horse, uh, it's actually, I would think, a, a counterintuitive argument because... 
the horse doesn't have to win three more races to be champion or four more races to be champion. It was one race on one day. What Mike Leach is really actually asking for is the BCS, but to put a mid-major or group of five team in against Alabama or Ohio State every year. So, uh, you know, the difference is we expand the playoff. Yeah, you'll get more more upsets and more underdogs, but they're not going to win the championship. They're not going through four Alabamas. You know, they're not going through Alabama in one round, Ohio State in the next round, and Georgia in the following round and win a championship. Uh, very interesting thought from Mike Leach, but uh, I don't know how, how much water it carries. So this is Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. One more segment coming up. Interesting update from a topic we talked about earlier today. We'll discuss that next, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, wrapping up the show. So, all right, Jason, Um we were talking earlier about Phil Mickelson, his <laughs> his gambling uh, his gambling deal. And yeah, I found the numbers, by the way. Okay, so give me the numbers that you got because I got a tweet from uh, somebody here. Uh, I want to give credit to Hulk Hogan for life, baby. Just tweeted All in right. with some numbers, but you tell me the numbers. But for people, to, the Saudi you're talking about the Saudi Golf League, right? Well, I'm gonna tell you everything, but like the 40 million in gambling losses that came out in the book. All right. Uh, that was between 2010 and 2014. <clears throat> Mickelson's income in 2012, annual income, he made about a million dollars a week on a stock deal in addition to this, but it was estimated at about $48 million annually. So he lost 40 over four years, but he makes 48 a year, according to this. Now to the actual Saudi-funded... LIV golf investments. Okay. He's got to play eight events here. The Telegraph in London has said he got $30 million up front. That's just an upfront. That's a signing bonus, basically. He's got to appear in the eight events. Tournaments offer $20 million in prize money, $5 million additionally for team play. So he already made 30 just to be in the thing. Not to not to actually win it. He's getting thirty up front. He gets another twenty if he can win some of these events and he can make another five for team play. So that's a nice chunk of change to go be a part of that tour. All right, so the numbers that I saw were not the same, uh, but not necessarily a credible source either. So Golf Monthly put out in a tweet that Bryson DeChambeau was offered reportedly been offered $135 million to be the face of the Saudi Super League. I don't know when that's from. And then someone named Peter Finch, who apparently has a very thriving YouTube page that's golf-related. I'm on his YouTube page right now. 481,000 subscribers said that I heard the number is closer to $240 million. Have no idea if either of these people is credible. Um, I'll just say this. If if we're let let's go with the low number there of 130 million, 135 million. I love the PGA Tour. I'd like to wear a lot of green jackets. I'd like to hold up a lot of claret jugs. Somebody offers me 135 million dollars, Jason. I don't care about the claret jug. I don't care about the green jacket. I don't care about what Saudi Arabia what they're accused of. That's a lot of money, Jason, to turn down. So I don't know if we're uh, you know if you have something credible that says 30 million, that's fine. But uh, I'm looking at the you know like I said, Golf Monthly 135 million was what they put out as far as Bryson DeChambeau being offered that. I mean that that may be right. What I'm getting is from straight from ESPN. It's straight from their article about everything else. But, I mean, there could be more for him than it is for Phil, for all I know. Um, 
I don't necessarily know why that would be the case, but it reads, The Telegraph in London cited sources saying Mickelson's received $30 million up front, must appear in each of the eight events that make up the LIV Golf Invitational Tournaments, offer $20 million in prize money with an additional $5 million for team play. So, I mean, individually, I'm sure you could be making different money. That's crazy money, but look, the Saudis have done this. They did it for WWE. And even in the midst of the Jamal Khashoggi situation, all that, Vince still took WWE over there. Even with the women having to be covered up and wearing body suits and some people not being allowed to go over there and all of that stuff, they did it because the bottom line, it was worth so much daggone money, they didn't feel like they had a choice financially but to go over there and do it because of what it could mean to the stock, what it could mean to the business. They took the PR hit and did it anyway. There's a lot of people that would, and there's a lot of people that say that they wouldn't, that if it was placed in front of them would. I'd like to believe I would turn it down just because of the Saudi involvement because there's a lot there that I would need to feel comfortable about, but that is a just a stupid amount of money. Let me ask a dumb question. Do you know why the Saudis are interested in starting this league? Like what like obviously when you have so much money that you can't spend it, you just do it I guess for frivolous reasons. Is that is that your understanding of why they they just want to have a golf league? They just want to do something they just want to do it over there? I mean, is that what I don't it? know why the Saudis care about golf. I mean, the Saudis a lot of times they do things that impress and or like please entertain pleasure the higher-ups right like the big-time sheiks and and folks like that that are there um higher-ups in the in the religion and certainly higher-ups in the government whatever they like they'll spend an exorbitant amount of money to make those people happy that's but golf is never something that i've really ever heard tied to the Middle East in that way is certainly not Saudi Arabia, so I don't really know why they would be doing this. It's an odd, it seems on paper to be an odd fit, but maybe it's not. We got 30 seconds left, Jason. Uh, Phoenix at Dallas tomorrow. Phoenix up 2-1. to one. Who do you like in that one? I like Phoenix. Was, that was a nice story Friday night, but I still think Phoenix is the better team. I agree as well. Miami at Philly, game, th- game 4. Philly down 2-1. to one. Who do you like in that one? I'm going to take Miami again, just the better team. I know I just picked chalk, but that's sometimes it's just the way it is. Thank the crew. Don, Eric, DeSager. Coming up, Chris Plank, Fox Sports Radio. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.